Hello, I'm Jeff Lester, and welcome to Wait, What? A Comics and Pop Culture Peace League. Graham McMillan and I return for episode 147, Three Terrifying Hours of Comics and Pop Culture Scrutiny. Topics discussed today include Miss Marvel, Batman, Aquaman, Batman and Aquaman, Murder, She Wrote, Pants Crapper High, The Inking Career of Death Himself, The Veronica Mars Movie, and more than 90 full minutes dedicated to ruminating over Avengers issues 51 through 75 by Roy Thomas and mostly John Basima. Show notes are now available at savagecritic.com, and we always welcome your comments and questions over at waitwhatpodcast at gmail.com. As always, we hope you enjoy, and thank you for listening. Jeff Lester! Oh, come on. Jeff? God are damn you... this fucking there mute button. Are. I hate this mute there button more are. than life itself. I was really like, what, what's happening? I even I... made a point to, like, trim it. I've got to attach it to my stupid shirt so it doesn't, like, bang around and stuff. I don't understand. <laughs> Why did you do this to me? You're the one who actually, you know, this is supposedly your headset. Why do you... Why? How? Why does it work for you? And it's just a fucking endless nightmare for me. I I don't know, but j- right now you sound as frustrated as my day has been. Like we we sound joined in our complete anger and frustration. The way today has been. Yeah, that's that. Sadly, that's probably pretty true. Dare I ask why? Um, what's going on uh, with you? Can you you want to tell the listeners and myself? So as you know, I work on the internet. I I write for the internet. I I'm on my computer quite a lot. Today, for no immediately apparent reason, my trackpad on my MacBook Air just decides to alternate between hypersensitivity or absolutely no sensitivity. So, for example, I'll just be, you know, moving my mouse across because I'm going to, uh, whatever, like, select a file or whatever. And I'll be like, do you mean to draw a box across your desktop? No, I don't. What about this win- this browser? Do you want to move this browser around the desktop? No, I don't. Would you like to deselect the browser? Yes, I would. Tough shit. You're not going to be able to. <laughs> oh, that that has been my day, and like it has required me to repeatedly restart my computer because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. like it just wouldn't let me do anything else. Oh. And this morning started off with me being like, "Oh shit, I have so much to do." And it was on almost as if my laptop was like, "Hey, you know, it make your day so much worse." <laughs> If I just decide not to work, if I decide to fuck you up. Yeah, that's seriously bad news. Um, uh, apparently what it is, is my battery was overheated. Oh, really? Uh, because it was, so I, I did all the, you know, how to, all the help things, you know, mm-hmm. do you have this problem? And it's like, well, your battery is running out and your Bluetooth mouse. And I'm like, I don't have a Bluetooth mouse. And it's like, okay, well, obviously... Maybe you've got a Bluetooth mouse that is not connected, but its battery is running out. And it's like, I don't have a Bluetooth. No, I definitely don't. And it's like, okay, well, then maybe it's... And I went through all these things that it couldn't be at all. Mm -hmm. And then the last one was, it could be that your battery is overheated. And if that's the case, all you can really do is switch your computer off to cool down and let it stay off for a while. Mm Mm-hmm. And you're like, so, but I'm so busy. I know. <laughs> I'm like, I don't really have time. So it literally has been like 10 minutes. That's a while, right? Everything will be cool now. 10 minutes. Huh. And so that's why I've been putting my computer on enough all day. So basically, like tonight, I'm just going to put it off and let it cool down overnight. 
Mm-hmm. And hope, hope that's fixed for tomorrow. But yeah, it's it's just been and it's been it's been happening at the worst time. So like, I will have written something, I'll be entered into the CRM, and then I just won't be able to even save it as a draft. Oh no! Uh... Do you know what I mean? It's been like that. And it's been like, really? <laughs> Motherfucker. Yeah, that is not good. Well, yeah, if you continue to have those problems, take it in. Maybe the, um. I might just take it in this weekend. Anyway, I, I think like, you should. I, I'm not using it. And mm-hmm. if, basically, if I can get through tomorrow, then I might just take it in on Saturday and be like, this is happening. This is unacceptable. Yeah, yeah. It's, <laughs> it's like two years old. Come on. It's not like it's broken. Right. What the fuck? Right. Well, they, par- they probably are like, you know, we don't expect you to use this every hour of every day, Mr. McMillan. You know, these things are ranked for the ideas that you're supposed to only use it eight hours a day, five days a week, not whatever crazy hours you're keeping here. You know, <laughs> your 11 hour days are killing your computer, Graham. You're killing oh, your computer. 11? I fucking wish. <laughs> See, that's even worse. I was kind of like, okay, let me figure out a number. Really? That's not even close? Or it's close, but it's, it's not close, right. But it's closer to like 12 or 13. Really? 12 or 13 hours a day, five days a week? Yeah. I mean, I, I but like with breaks in between, but I normally start work. No, it's not true. It's closer to 12, I guess. I normally start work somewhere like just after six, and I normally finish work just before six, so eleven and a bit. That sound you hear is Jeff's blood running cold. Um, that is. But I'm taking breaks in between, like I'm taking time off for like to eat. <laughs> I'm taking time off to you know take the dogs for walks occasionally, stuff like that. So it's not like I'm I'm only like I'm only sitting in front of the computer all that time if. I have hideous deadlines. Right. Do you know what I mean? That, yeah. That's It's not five days a week that I'm doing that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man. Oh, my God. And the thing that's really so sad, uh, listeners, is Graham still reads more than I do. So, like... <laughs> I was going to boast about everything I've read this week. Yeah, yeah. That I, I think you should, and I want you to, but... Okay, I, I'm going to list everything. Okay. But we can't... We, we really need to talk about Avengers. We can't... I, I... I know. And also, okay. I want to get to why you're so mad as well. I will list everything very quickly that right. I've read, like, comics-wise this week. Okay, go. Because I, this never happens. Uh, Action Comics, American Vampire, Aquaman, Archer and Armstrong, Batman and Aquaman, which we totally have to talk about, by the way. Yes. Uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Daredevil, three issues Green Lantern Corps, because I was behind. Hardcore issue zero, uh, the new Iron Man, the Justice League of America, which we definitely have to talk about um mighty avengers ms marvel quantum woody two issues of the royals the rob williams series of what's vertigo wow. uh secret avengers two issues of Turok, unity exo man of war veil velvet and 10 volumes of scalped jesus grief man that's amazing wow <laughs> it's i've been reading a shit ton of comics this week that is crazy that is really, really crazy. Do you want to hear? Do you want to hear my list? Yes, I really do. Because earlier on, you're like, I've read some. Yeah, and and it's it was like I was kind of like, okay, I'm going to be in the running, but not compared to that. I read. Uh, wait, are we doing it this week or since the last time we talked? Because you said you made oh, it sound last, like last, last time we talked. Because yeah. Oh, yeah, okay. Good, good, yeah. good. Okay. So let's see. What did I read? I read uh, two issues of Judge Dredd magazine. Um, 
No, actually, only one. Oh, oh shit! Yeah, I've not even included. I was literally just including the physical things. Really. Yeah, you do the physical yeah. things. All the stuff, the large amount of stuff I read was was digital. So it's like, uh, so I read the latest magazine, although I did not read the pack in, which is uh, another volume of Black Sita by Pat Mills and that dude. Yeah, I, I saw that and I was like, I'm not going to be reading that. Yeah, I'm just like, ah oh, man, come on. Like, what I would give for them to put Mac, Mach One as like a pack in I would be oh god really? I would die of happiness man seriously I want to read that or dude seriously Pat Mills writing the six million dollar man I totally want to read that like crazily particularly since it's like 1978 Pat Mills you know? oh yeah it's yeah it, it was it was like prog one wasn't it yeah right from the beginning and that was I think that was actually its first big hit before they were kind of like it was immensely popular until they realized nobody knew what they were doing with it in which case everyone hated it within like 20 progs um okay Hawkeye issues 1 through 12 uh the mighty Thor issues 126 through 120 135 uh Batman 29, Batman and Aquaman, Prophet 43, Fuse number 2, Walking Dead 123, Minimum Wage number 3, Sex Criminals number 5, Zero number 6, so- uh Sovereign number 1, kind of iffy. Uh what- oh, yeah, yeah, I I've read Sex Criminals and Sovereign as well, but I read them digitally, so we should we should talk about those. Yeah, okay. Uh what if uh issue 32, which is awesome, uh Mystic what, number 1. What is what if issue 32? Oh, it's great. So I was perusing I was perusing the creator list on the Marvel Unlimited app, you know, uh-huh. because you can browse through characters and you can which the character thing needs some serious updates. Uh and you can browse through creators. So I'm scrolling down through the creators. I don't remember who I was looking at for, but listed under D was Death himself. <laughs> Wow! Oh man, was he a writer or penciler? He was a penciler. So yeah, so I'm kind of yeah. So I was like, okay, what has Death himself done? Which I should have remembered. What if number thirty-two, which I have to say is one of my favorite episodes of What If? Is it the assistant editor's one? No, it's not. Well, I don't think so. It is What If Korvac had won the Avengers Korvac War. Um, oh, and this is on Marvel Unlimited? Yeah, it's on Marvel Unlimited. Oh, fuck. Okay, I'm definitely going to have to... Have to go yeah. get it before it ends and read it, because it is written by Mark Grenwald. And what and what happens is it basically has Korvac taking over the entire universe. It very much reads like... it. it it's interesting. It shifts gears from the original sort of Jim Shooter Korvac epic, which I remember fondly uh and weirdly and transitions into like a jim starlin epic but told with that complete mark grenwald attention to marvel universe detail oh my god that sounds so good it's so good is amazing and what they did was actually i have to open it the what they did was because it's got just about every cosmic character and, and, and a lot of superhero characters involved. What they did was they had the um, uh, everybody who was it they penciled it or was it everyone all these all these people inked it like um, so da, 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 I got to jump. To oh, the was it was page. the inker Manny Hands? No, this is the thing that's great is they literally list everyone who 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 inked everyone. In the last page. Oh, come on. You've got to load. Why didn't I preload you? Okay, i got to jump to the letters page. 
Uh, well, first this, for the credit. This, this sounds spectacular. I mean, spectacular. So, okay, check it out. Mark Grunwald not only does the story, he does the layouts. Yeah, because yeah. he, he also penciled the Hawkeye miniseries. That's right. I totally forgot he penciled that. And it's funny because his style looks familiar. Greg LaRocque finishes the art, but then mm-hmm. the inkers is... Wait, wait, wait. But I thought you said Death himself was penciler. Uh, sorry. No, he's an inker. Sorry. Oh, uh, okay. That's... Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's great. So you have... Say, Greg LaRocque is Death? What yes. the fuck? <laughs> I loved his flash run, and now you're telling me he's a Grim Reaper? See? He, he's multi-talented. Um, so you have guys like Jack Abel, like, ink the Avengers en masse. The Badoon were inked by Alan Cooperberg. Captain America was inked by Joseph Rusen- Rubenstein. Wait, wait, wait. Do characters? Do the specific characters, not the pages. Oh, mother of God. I have to look this up. You've got to. This is What If Issue 32, and it's on Marvel Unlimited. That is right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Oh, Jeff. That sounds amazing. it's, It's a fantastic read. I read it when I originally, of course, had it. What If 32, Marvel Unlimited app. Um... So the list of inkers includes, I'll just hit some of the highlights. Chaos is inked by Walt Simonson. Um, Eternity is inked by Mark Grenwald. Galactus is inked by Bob Layton. Um, Hercules is inked by Bob Layton. The Inbetweener is inked by Al Milgram. Immortus is inked by Klaus Jansen. Uh, Moon Dragon is inked by Frank Miller. Uh, Order is also inked by Walt Simonson. Phoenix is done by Dave Cockrum. The Shaper of Worlds is by Steve Mitchell. Uh, Ron Wilson does the Silver Surfer. Uh, Zeus is inked by Dave Byrne. And um, Death is inked by himself. Death himself. Yes, exactly. So that's how that's how you get Death himself as a credit on here. And it led oh, to me reading this. Spectacular. You've got to get it. It is. It is oh, okay. A... Yeah. No, no, no. That sounds amazing. I was already going to get it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and okay, it... so... Yes. So wait, getting back to your list, you said Mystic Number One, the the cross gen, the revival, the the G. Bella Wilson one. Yes, exactly, because they have all four issues again on the Marvel Unlimited app. And I was oh, like, I, I love that series. And I remembered that you loved it. I think I read the first two issues and quite liked it. And so I reread the first issue with the idea of reading all of it and getting. I got distracted and sidelined. But that first issue really is. Um, it's a it's a really solidly put together. Uh, fantasy novel you yeah, know in, it's, in it's a great little like disney movie yeah it's, it's a disney it's a... movie but with someone who really knows their their fantasy tropes so like because it it it, it, it revolves around the idea of these mystical mages who rule this this world essentially she works out she's got a very nice little magical system um, clearly worked out, thought out for it, and it was, or so it seems from the first issue. It could go totally awry in the later ones, but uh... Uh, I, I'm, I am, I, I've always been pretty much like on the G Willow Wilson train. I, I love Cairo. I really liked Air. Mm-hmm. I love Tale of the Unseen, her novel. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, you're you're G Willow Wilson fanboy, so it's kind of yeah. But but hey, Ms. Marvel, Jeff. Miss mm-hmm. Marvel's Miss Marvel is the book. Miss Marvel is great. Yeah, yeah, it's really, really, really good. Okay, once again, you finagled me into this organic speaking process where we talk about things as they come up. Tell me more about Miss Marvel. Uh, well, I you remember I I read the first issue and I was like, oh, I was pleasantly surprised. I was yes. really that I wanted it to be good. The second issue is just like that, but more so. Mm-hmm. It's it's just. It's a really great. I finished. I was when I finished it. I thought 
this is weirdly like a sort of DC midline book. Because mm-hmm. you know how it used to be that DC would have really good midline books that would have relatively short runs, but they'd be very individual and they'd have their own point of view, but they'd be very firmly rooted in the superhero trope. Yes. That's that's what Ms. Marvel is. Ms. Marvel is this wonderful teenager becomes a superhero mm-hmm. series uh, with amazing art by Adrian Alfona and uh, colors by Ian Herring. It, I mean, it looks spectacular. It's a beautiful looking book. But um, what Willow's doing in it is really kind of fascinating because the second issue, like the first, works completely well as a an episode in and of itself. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like, there's an arc within each issue so far. Oh, good. Wow. With each issue also acting to advance the greater arc. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I remember you know, those. those. I think those are called comic books back in the yeah, day. Yeah, no, exactly. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's really weirdly old-fashioned in that sense. Yeah. And, and Ms. Marvel issue two is very old-fashioned. Mm-hmm. It's the uh, hero has just gotten powers and has to learn that you do something with the powers issue. Mm, Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, Hero has to save someone. And because it's a Marvel book, Hero has to save someone in her social circle who, because they're a Marvel hero, they're not accepted by. Hero has to step outside of their own uh, preconceptions and their own biases to mm. save someone and discover that that in itself is its own reward. Right. Right. So, you know, you're solidly in the Marvel tropes there. Yeah, very much so. And it's just, it's, but it's just really well done. Like, it feels organic despite that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know? So you have this 20-page story that feels much longer, that is beautiful to look at, that is simultaneously nostalgic because you recognize the trope and because you know where the story is going, and very fresh and contemporary because... Uh, you have because Kamala is a different type of character essentially, mm-hmm. and even though you have the you know the parents don't understand idea mm-hmm. there, which you know God knows is nothing new. The reasons why the parents don't understand the cultural reasons that the the idea that it's not just that they're upset that she's cre- like she snuck out of the house, it's that they're upset that she snuck out of the house because they're worried about her not only being raped. Mm-hmm. Because she's a teenage girl, but also like the cultural, like, you know, you shouldn't be hanging out with these white boys type mm-hmm. thing. Like, it's, it's, that makes it seem fresh. Mm-hmm. So, so you really have this wonderful mix of everything that's good, basically. It's just a very, very, very good superhero comic. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's spectacular. That's fantastic. Yeah. I, and what's really nice is I'm seeing mainstream news stories about it today, even. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, New York Magazine Vulture has a, a story like, you know, G. Willow Wilson is turning superheroes fresh again. And I love that that's happening with issue two. I like, really like the idea that this is going to be the book that is basically not only lives up to the hype, but is so good that the hype it perpetuates. Yes. Yeah, that's kind of what you need. Uh, I, you know, I, I, feel. I, I really, really hope that it's... I have no idea what the orders are. I didn't even look for the, the February sales. Mm-hmm. Um but I, I hope that it's going to be sticking around for a while. It's, it's such a good book. Issue two is so good. Well, you know, it, it's, um, because I haven't, I haven't read the book. I'm, I, although, you know, now that I think about it, I think Ms. Marvel, the infinite comic is currently free through Comixology. And I think I downloaded that. Um, so. Oh, maybe not the infinite comic, but issue one. Issue one is, is free as part of their, uh, TED talk package. Oh, really? Yeah. 
Really? Oh, wait. Did yeah. I? Hmm. Okay. I don't that, think. That's, and the TED Talk package, package is still available to the end of the month. Oh, okay. So if you haven't got it, you could uh, scoot over and get it. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I'll, I'll have to find out how to do that. Uh, what do you think? How do you contrast that with? Because I, I, I do think that um, I thought it was interesting that, that Marvel, like I said, having not read Ms. Marvel, I was interested that Marvel seems to be pushing, I, I want to say reaching out at re, for to retailers to, to up their orders on these books, but... Are you talking about the spectacular email that went out yesterday, mm-hmm. the subject line of which was, you didn't order enough? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Which, holy shit, you didn't order enough. Yeah. I, I love that. I yeah. love that because when it comes down to it, that's that's what a uh, going back to press means. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like we print to order, right? Like everyone underestimated the the demand. You didn't order enough, but it's it's firmly putting the blame on the retailer. Yes, that is just it's simultaneously like well they're right, but it's kind of dickish. <laughs> well, I I think I yes I think that it, it it's super dickish. I thought that was kind of amusing. Um, but but you then again you also look at the you look at the order numbers for for example the Fantastic Four relaunch right and don't get me wrong Fantastic Four is relaunching a year after the last relaunch oh do yeah you know yeah, I mean? yeah. Like that's super fast it's you can understand if retailers do not have an incredible amount of faith in it yes and, and you know to be blunt uh, James Robinson and Leonard Kirk may be a better creative team than Mark Badley and Mark Mark uh, Matt Fraction mm-hmm. but they're not a bigger name team. Right. So you can definitely understand that orders would be lower. Mm-hmm. But nonetheless, orders were significantly lower. They were over 100,000 for the last one, and this time they were, what, under 70,000? Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, like, that's a, that's a serious drop. Right. So, you know, they, the books are clearly being ordered at a significantly lesser uh, amount. Well, the, so, so it comes down to, like, who who's in the wrong here? Is everyone in the wrong? Well, I, I, I think, how do I put it? The answer is when everything gets aggregated like that, I want to say that the answer is yes. Because, because I feel to split the difference, one of the things that's really frustrating is that, um, you look at books like, cause, cause I was looking at, cause they had a list of the books that were currently out that they were going back to press on or whatever. There are books that are getting, like, Ms. Marvel, um, She-Hulk, uh, Moon Knight, those books that are, got actually very good reviews. You know, like books that, like, I looked at those and there were a number of books that were books that I was like, a, if I was reading Marvel, I would want to be reading these books. And B, um, kind of, I feel that that is a different situation than when, um, uh, when, as opposed to just rebooting titles that, that retailers know, like, look, this, you know, it's like this, this, this book, like you said, Fantastic Four, it's it doesn't have traction in the marketplace with bigger names, you know? Why would it have it with like smaller names? Sure, but but then again, you look at something like I mean, I I will I see the argument for something like uh Captain Marvel. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like I'm I'm completely unsurprised that retailers didn't go, I'm gonna order a shit ton of Captain Marvel. Because right. Captain Marvel's previous volume was selling around twenty thousand. Yeah. 
Do you know what I mean? So mm-hmm. if they went, like, even if they went 40,000, that's a significant uptick. Yes, and absolutely. So, so saying, that's you know, true. you didn't order enough in that is, is just being a dick. Mm-hmm. But you look at, like, you know, Moon Knight's in there, and it's Warren Ellis and Declan Shalvey. Magneto's in there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, New Warriors, even. And mm-hmm. don't get me wrong, Chris Yost and Marcus Stowe are not big names, but New Warriors is a relatively, you know, sizable brand, I guess. Right. Right. We'll see. And this, so, and this is my point is, is like, there's part of me where it's like, in a way, I understand Marvel's frustration because it seems as, as if the retailers are, to, to put it, to put it euphemistically, are playing it safe. And to not put it euphemistically, they're just basically covering, you know, they're only investing in the safest bets. But, that is, unfortunately, the, that is the nature of the way the marketplace is set up. If Marvel really wants to make sure that retailers order enough, um, do what DC did and set up returnability. DC has been working on returnability for issues. Like, that's how they, they were able to actually, you know, get the orders on the new 52 that they did. You know, Marvel wants to do these things with Marvel now and make it look like those numbers are there, but they don't actively want to invest. They can't, they, you know, because of the way that, um, the, the, the companies run, they can't turn around and put the, their money up front and say, you know what, we're going to make this returnable. In fact, they've gone to great lengths to avoid returnability. They would much rather, um, you know, just, put in like dozens and dozens of variant covers to try and get you to order. And in the case of something like Avengers versus X-Men number one, they just shipped them to people free, you know, like it wasn't. And so I'm, there's part of me that's kind of like, if you're playing this, if, if Marvel's acting that way, you know, it's ridiculous for them to chide retailers for being fiscally conservative because there is no retailer in the marketplace that has even, one one thousandth of the assets, you know, of the of the financial backing that Marvel does. If Marvel really wants to wants, if Marvel really wants to act like they're investing in these characters and trying new things, they need they need to to back them financially. You know? Well, yeah, that that's just it. Why is Marvel not significantly overprinting these books? Yeah, exactly. I mean, then again, probably not. Maybe they did. They they may have. They may have. You know, but, but yeah, there's overprinting, shipping things with setting returnabilities to certain orders and levels and things like that. DC, as much as DC is just an utter, utter shit show, they're still continuing to do that with books that they want to promote or titles that they want to promote. And I feel like that is, um, that does help them at least initially you know, place books in the marketplace. Now, what ends up happening immediately afterwards is, is, you know, another story. But so I don't know. I mean, it's, it's, it's just interesting because on the one hand, I see you being like, yeah, Miss Marvel is fantastic. So it's, it's, we're kind of reaching that stage where there's a lot of what Marvel's doing editorially that is, um, worthy of being, uh, worthy of attention. And yeah, I can well, sort of, you know, I, understand why they're frustrated, but. You know, by this, I, I completely agree. I realize that while I consider myself more of a DC fan than a Marvel fan, mm-hmm. I am, I am much more excited about Marvel's line. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's the point where 
I, it's kind of difficult for me to see a number of DC books that I'm excited about, whereas Marvel, you know, you've got the Loki, you've got the Ms. Uh, Ms. Marvel, you've mm-hmm. got Mighty Avengers, you've got Secret Avengers, which I thought was a great first issue. Mm-hmm. Um, even Iron Man, I, I was kind of, I've been sort of dabbling in and out with Iron Man, Gillen's Iron Man recently. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and the most recent issue, I was just like, this is, this is a guy who's really good at what he does. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And he's got Luke Ross on art right now, so it's, it's a really nice book. Ooh. Um, you know, so, so there really is an, an incredible uh, strength and creative excitement in the books. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and on the business side, there's lots of things where you're just like, oh, god damn it. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's so funny. But yeah, right. that, it's true. It, it really is. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think creatively, they're, they're as strong as they've been. Yeah, that's kind of what, what I sense. And on the one hand, I can see them being frustrated. But the other hand is, is I'm like, Sorry, guys. I mean, it's ridiculous. The thing that's crazy with Marvel is I feel like I I believe that there is a very specific set of numbers and calculus going on with Marvel in terms of the number of units they have to move, the dollar. And I don't think that that actually matters nearly as much as the number of dollars that they have to produce every quarter. So, you know, I, I kind of, again, not that I'm... A, not that I'm a retailer, and B, not that I, you know, you would have to be a very big retailer to make this happen. But part of me is like, I'm surprised. They're lucky that they don't have retailers trying to figure out how to game their system, you know, in the sense of, because to me it was like Avengers versus X-Men number one is like, oh, people did not order that initially. And Marvel was just like, you are going to take these fucking issues. This has oh, to be our I biggest think- event. I think you're going to see a lot of things similar to that round Original Sin. Mm-hmm. The solicitations for Original Sin this month were fascinating to me, uh, in part because there's the two secret books. Mm-hmm. There's Original Sins, which is a five-issue miniseries, which doesn't even have a fucking creative team attached. Really? Wait. That's the... Okay. So There's Original Sin Singular, which right. is the main series, which is Jason, Jason Aaron, Aaron and Mike Diodato. Right. There is Original Sins Plural, which is a series, wow. uh, no creative team attached. And there's also, between issues three and four of Original Sin, there is a four-issue miniseries within the miniseries. Original Sin, issue 3.1, Original Sin, issue 3.4. Oh, 3. no. 3.3, wow. issue 3.4. And that's by a revolving creative team of Mark Wade and Mark Bagley and Kieran Gillen and Luke Ross. Jesus. Which is, like, but again, no details of what that is. Right. Literally, you know the creative team, and that's it. Right. Tie-in issues, uh, Marvel has gone back to their Civil War thing, where they don't show the art, and they just have the series tagline for the information. Um, and so, you're seeing... I mean, they're, they're really... I get the feeling that Marvel's really putting emphasis behind Original Sin. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they're, they're like, this is going to be big! Look, we've done this spin-off miniseries! We're not going to tell you about it, because it's a secret! Right. And that's the problem. Yeah. Like, it's really hard to go, I'm excited about this mm-hmm. as a retailer when you know nothing about it. Like, I can only hope that retailers know far more about Original Sins and what the Original Sin 3 mini, like, miniseries within the miniseries actually is. Right, right. Because otherwise it's back to, what was it called? Fallen Sun? Remember the, the, the Captain America miniseries, the Jeff Loeb one? Mm-hmm. That it was. We're not telling you what it's really called. 
And it was it was like the five issue series because they wanted to keep Captain America's death secret. Yes, and I just and I don't the, remember the name of the series. It was like yeah. Captain America colon it was a Civil War colon uh, Fallen Sun open brackets not final title close brackets. <laughs> <laughs> and the, the covers and you're just right. like what the fuck is this? Yeah. How is anyone supposed to know what this what this is or how to order it? Yeah. And it's the same thing. Yeah. You know, I I completely understand the idea of we want to keep the big secrets a secret. Mm-hmm. But then you run into real problems with how is how is the retailers going to know how to order it? Yes, exactly, exactly. No, that's still this enormous, um, crazy hurdle, you know, uh, of the what they what they tell tell or don't tell the retailers is just it's ridiculous. I don't think I don't think there's any other <coughs> um, modern major industry that runs like that. You know? but, well, here's here's an argument in defense of the way it is, though. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure there's another modern industry in which the professionals are of also such fans. Mm-hmm. I, I genuinely do see the concern of, well, we can't tell the retailers because someone's going to leak it. No, exactly. And we've they've had situations. They've had situations recently where they had, you know, fucking retailers leaking stuff over social media. In the the press conference room, while they're being told not to tell anyone, you know, it's yeah, you know. So I, I, from that angle, I can totally understand Marvel saying, you know, in order for this surprise to be a surprise, yeah, we can't tell you. Yeah, but in that case, it makes me think that the solution is you've got to work out some way to either not solicit it, like retro retro solicit it, I guess, later mm-hmm. when you can say more about it, yeah. or come up with some way to solicit it with some level of information in there. Well, yeah, you've got to have something. I mean, it just, it, I, it is ridiculous. The fact that Original Sins has no creative to See, I mean, that's, that, and that's a different side altogether. I mean, it's, that has nothing to do with the flow of information that has everything to do with the fact that they are working so close to the bone. And again, it shows you how um, non-organic these events are, you know, for uh, especially for Marvel. They're like, look, we, you know, we can't just have the miniseries. We've got to have the supplemental miniseries, you know, oh, yeah. <sighs> ever since they did Civil no, no, War I, and Civil I, yeah, War, front, okay. you know, Frontline I, or whatever. I totally agree. The, what, the reason I was saying this more, uh, the most disappointing comic I read in a long time. Mm-hmm. is the Justice League of America issue that mm-hmm. I read in the last couple of weeks, mm-hmm. which theoretically ties up their Forever Evil tie-in. Right. And literally reveals that the last five issues or six issues, however many issues it's been, mm-hmm. have added up to nothing. <laughs> it's literally an end of, and that is basically, and it was all a dream. No. Well, pretty much. That, but pretty pretty much. Well, sure. Sure. Uh, but you theoretically you're like, well, you know, there's been the character arc of the of uh, Star Girl and Merchant Manhunter who have been the core characters. No, because there's not really any character arc when you sit down and read all the issues together either. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like it's it's astounding just how much filler and how much treading water there is, right? And how badly the last issue manages to fail, even pretending to give some resolution to the earlier stuff. Right? Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It, it's it's really it's a it really is just a, well, if you guys pay money for this. I mean, I luckily didn't. I got all of these as comps. Right. But th- this is a three ninety nine book, Jeff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I know. I know. 
Um, and it's like, hey, see, you know, the last six months of that three ninety nine book, ah, fuck you, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. literally mean nothing. So you know, good luck with that. Yeah, it, yeah, it's, yeah. It really, really left a bad taste in my mouth. Well, uh, so it's not yeah. just Marvel. Is my point? I'm sorry. What's that? It's not just Marvel. Oh no, 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 no. That is a good point. Are, yeah, yeah, yeah. are just as bad. Oh, I, I yes. I, I think my frustration, I think, with Marvel comes from the fact of, um. <clears throat> well, I, I, if nothing else, I feel that, that Marvel really sort of started this current level of, you know, the company-wide event. I mean, I know it's been around for a while, but I really feel with Civil War, that's kind of what started all these things going to the level oh, yeah, that yeah, they do yeah. and in the way if, that if they there, do. If there was an arms race, then mm-hmm. then it would definitely, you know, Civil War was a definitely escalation. Yeah. So, so I definitely, and believe me, I'm not happy with, with DC. One of the things that I think is very, very sad is that, and I, I'm sure that our listeners, it's just as well our comment board is down, because I'm sure our listeners would point out what's actually sad about it. But what I was going to say is, it's sad that even though I have been boycotting DC for, you know, I'm boycotting Marvel for over a year, and not boycotting DC at all, I still have ended up reading more Marvel books over the last six months um, through basically thanks to what readers send me. And then I do DC. Like, I just don't have, like, the DC stuff does not, um, when I picked up Forever Evil number one, that was kind of a big warning gong reading that first issue. Like, I, you know, folded out the... um, four-page spread or whatever that David Finch had done of everyone. And I'm like, oh, this is pretty. And then I got to the end of the the issue, and I'm like, what have I done? Like, this is just going to be (laughs) utter. uh, There is is so little here. This is going to be a mess all the way through. And, and, you know, John's normally, I think, has a way of coming up with one or two little – Hooks, you know, they're they're very much like riffs. Like, oh, you should pick up this issue because it reveals blankety blank, you know. And he did that with whatever the event was that led right into Forever Evil, the Trinity War, right? Yeah, Tr- Trinity War was actually really good because mm-hmm. it just continually zigged when you thought it was going to zag. Mm-hmm. I, it gave me a lot of hope for Forever Evil that Forever Evil itself just utterly dashed against the rocks. Yeah, but yeah. Evil- gleefully was like, hey, you think this might be good based in Trinity War? Fuck you. Fuck well, you so hard. Do you think, do, do you feel like having Forever Evil be just such a goose egg actually diminishes, sort of retroactively diminishes your enjoyment of the Trinity War since that was uh, how everything sort of led to it? Or Really? No? Like, I mean, sure, I guess. I don't know. Like, I, I wouldn't really say so, to be honest. Okay. Well, that's great. It diminishes, it diminishes it in the sense of, I end a Trinity War being like, oh, maybe he won't fuck this up. Right. And right. so now I get to the end of it and I'd be like, well, he fucked that up. Mm-hmm. But there's enough of a break for me between the two mm-hmm. that I can still think, you know, they, they actually did that one pretty well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, that's good. I'm, I'm glad. Uh, yeah, no, Marvel DC still kind of, I, I don't know if you saw the tweet. But um, <clears throat> I did tweet yesterday after getting back from the store. It's like I picked up, I don't know, it, I don't remember what the count was, like 15 books, you know, 
two two of them were DC. Uh, I had like a Dark Horse book, a Powerpuff Girl from IDW for Toon, and like nine Image books. So I and I don't think Eric Stevenson is happy that you're buying real comics, Jeff. Well, exactly, exactly. <laughs> well, let me tell you, Eric Stevenson. Um, by the time that Tom Scioli's Transformers G.I. Joe issue hits the stands, like... Uh, <laughs> it's like, you'll, you'll be back in the side of fake I, comics. I, I will be reading that <laughs> fake comic book so goddamn hard. Like, my <laughs> eyes will fucking bleed from reading that. So. Oh, it, it does look very, very, very good, right? Oh, it looks fantastic. It looks fantastic. I think you put a page up on your Tumblr or something that I... and I was Yeah, like, yeah, the, 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 the wonderful... Uh, Oh, what's it end with? It's something like, you know, hope is like salvation is a gold bug or something. Yes. Like <laughs> and you're like, yes. And the best part is, I'm not sure it's Sioli doing the, the dialogue, doing the script. I think it's John Barber doing the script and totally picking up all the Kirby and running with it. Really? Because be the script is Kirby as shit. The well, yeah, it was amazing. That, that, those, that page or pages that I saw were amazingly Kirby-ish. So yeah, I, was I, like, th- okay. I think it's actually John Barber doing the script. Wow. Wow. Well, and if so, God bless him. Yeah, those guys are remarkably in sync then because I was totally sure that was Cioli doing his, doing his very well done and well honed Kirby riff. So, but before we get off the subject and get back onto a what you've written last month, picking up from Mystic, and then onto Avengers, which we said we're going to do at the very start, and we've totally. <laughs> yes. uh, I want to say really quickly, while I agree that uh, DC on on a whole is less interesting than uh, Marvel, I don't want to say that DC is doing nothing interesting. Mm-hmm. And something I really want to shout out, and something I think you should pick up, mm-hmm. is Jeff Parker's Aquaman. Uh, you know, I uh, am picking up yep. his Aquaman. Yeah, have you read 28? Have you read the High School Reunion issue? I did read the, the High School Reunion issue. I love that. Really? Well, I, that's great. I, and here's like, I've never been to High School Reunion. <laughs> I'm like, it was so like mine. I too was an Atlantean god. Um, but no, I, I, I really, really liked it. And it was the first issue so far in the run where I was like, he's going more towards comedy, which I think is what I want from the book. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. previous two issues were very straightforward superheroics, which which is which works. Mm-hmm. But when it gets to you know, Mira is chatting to Arthur's, you know, high school sweetheart and just giving him shit. Right. I was like, oh, I'm really excited about this. Yeah. You know, I'm excited about this much more than I am, you know, anything from Atlantis. Well, and I think that's I think part of what throws me off is um, I had not read any of the previous issues of Aquaman, I literally jumped on with the first Jeff Parker issue. Cause I'm like, ah, you know, I want to give it a try. It's like, you know, uh, I, I think it just sort of seemed like, yeah, I could see where this would be like sort of perfect for Jeff Parker's sensibilities, I suppose. But it's a, um, I don't know. You know, Aquaman is, Aquaman is a weird figure. I think, I think for me, my problem were whatever, was that the third issue that they've done or yeah. the second issue? Yeah, okay. So the first two issues were very much sort of giant, raw monster kind of thing. Um, and man, I, I personally think that for Aquaman, I think, I, I think I might have mentioned this. It's, I'm slowly catching on. It's sort of like, uh, to me, it's like Angel and the Ape. And a few other things like to me, Aquaman almost lives or dies on the visual representation. Um, it does to me, it's like kind of a cartoonist dream, you know? And so, 
honestly, Parker's stuff was was probably even that high school reunion thing. I just kind of thought that the the art was was bad. Like I well, I would have well, to go Pel- back and read Pelletier it. Pelletier is mm-hmm. not the is not the right artist for this. Yeah, he's weirdly too physical. Mm-hmm. I I want someone more. I was going to say fluid, and then realized it was a pun. But I do. I want someone whose whose stuff is not so stocky. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like there 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 there's something very uh present and and solid. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and weirdly um weirdly Busema esque to almost get into the Avenger stuff. Mm. Uh in his faces. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um and it's it's just it's weird for Aquaman. Like mm. it it doesn't quite work. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like Aquaman, I want the idea that this guy is more graceful, yeah, than Pelletier can can handle, yeah, yeah, more graceful. And again, I just sort of thought that the issues, and I would have to go back and look at it because it is that I must have read that issue like two or three weeks ago or something like that. So my memories of it aren't strong, but I remember thinking part of the problem was it just felt like. Yeah, it just felt like it didn't play to the artist's strengths, and so things were staged badly. Like, there's scenes in the high school reunion where there's just not a, re- there's not a good sense of body language among the characters. So, like, the stages of discomfort that people have around Aquaman at his high school reunion, you know, sort of ran the gamut, like, it, I wasn't sure to what extent we're supposed to be like, did this guy just crap his pants? Did he just murder somebody? Like, you know, there was just a lot of, um, it's a really weird school, Jeff. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it is murder, <laughs> murder and pants crapping. Oh man. Murder. Ahoy. She pooped. That is going to be like the big series. <laughs> I was thinking pant crap, pant crapper high. <laughs> <laughs> You know, you're more in touch with what the kids want. I think Pant Crapper High would be, would also be huge. That is the young adult sensation. But for the people who, like me, are a little older and have fond memories of Columbo and whatever murder she pooped about an incontinent amateur detective, I think. Did, be... did you know that Murder Show was actually created by the Columbo creators? I didn't know that until recently. Uh, uh, yes, I did. I actually think I did know that. You know? I, that's, I, part of me is like, how far, how far they fail? <laughs> you know, Murder She Wrote ran for like nine million episodes. And oh, it, it, ran for, it ran for like twelve seasons. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you know, and it's sort of like J. Michael Straczynski it, wouldn't have terrible. his career without it. See, it's I haven't watched terrible. enough. Is it really bad? Yeah, because Kate got really, really into it. <laughs> it's, it's all on Netflix. You see, uh, uh, right? Of course. Like it's all on Netflix. Yeah. Um, and Kate got really, really into it. And I think we actually started watching Columbo first. Because mm. the first run of Columbo, like the first seven years of Columbo, are on Netflix as well. Right, which I've actually been meaning to watch. Those they're are they're pretty great. Yeah. They're so good. Yeah, and they're so sharp and they're so playful with the format. Right, that that you're like, you know, this this is just great television because mm-hmm. you have very it's very campy. Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like the, the the motivations and the murderers, the you know the guests of the week. It's not it, it it's really smartly put together because they should start off with the murder. Right, but it's also uh, like if they they had to do that because if they didn't, you'd know. Well, the murderer is the guest star of the week. Do you know what I mean? Like you've got Patrick McGoon in this episode; he's the murderer. Right. Right. You've got Robert Vaughn; he's the murderer. You've got Roddy McDowell; he's the murderer. Like you know, it's no surprise. Um, But that is that is both Columbo's fantastically great charm, and also, I mean that that's the problem with 
pre-serialized television back in the 70s. It was like, how can we give you the most entertaining version of the exact same episode you watched last week? You but know? that's just it. Columbo is, is simultaneously this exact same episode you watched last week and not. Mm-hmm. There's enough variation to keep it interesting that you can binge watch them. Then you get to Murder, She Wrote. And Murder, She Wrote is, can I have this running joke? We're, we're like season three or something now. Uh-huh. Uh, and we have this running joke that we, before, like when we're starting it, Kate was like, this is absolutely terrible, but you know, it's fun enough. Basically, it's brain dead television. You sure. know, yeah. you, you want something just to switch your brain off. Mm-hmm. But we have this running joke that according to the internet, like this series takes a significant nosedive in later seasons. <laughs> and we were like, we, we can't understand how that's possible. Because it's terrible. Like it's appallingly, appallingly bad by season, by, by season one, hell. Um, the, the writers are just like throwing shit against the wall. The first episode of Murder Show, the pilot, is that Angela Lansbury is a first time writer and she sold her first book, right? Oh, wow. By like episode 16, they're like, and she's had six books in the top 10. <laughs> quick does this woman fucking write a book she's never writing she's always visiting somewhere to promote her book but she's like six bestsellers in 16 weeks that's astounding man if i'd known that i would have been watching murder she wrote from like because i think i've told you how much our guilty brain dead television is nashville which is currently you know on good what's that isn't nashville meant to be good like uh, Trashy but good. Uh, yes, I mean it's tough. Like I thought the first season. Yes, I I thought it was like sca- uh, scandal in that it's meant to be like really trashy but actually smart. Okay, scandal is actually a great comparison because because I need to watch scandal. Edie showed me his scene the other day, and I'm like, this is insane. Why am I not watching scandal? This is absolutely insane. Nashville is not as insane. It tries to be a little closer to being grounded in reality. The first season, I think, was relatively, to me, like, I just got into it, and I'm still chain-watching it. Chain-watching it. I'm still still watching it every week when it comes out, um, and usually really happy to do so. But it's a show where it kind of has done the opposite of delivering on its potential, kind of. Like the, oh, yeah, it, it, it squanders its potential spectacularly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But um, but one of the things that I do like about it, every episode, it's like part of why I will watch the damn show to the ground, is because there is, like, writing is the most important activity in the world, in the natural universe. Like, there's singing, but everyone is, it's like, if you want to be a star, you have to write your own material. And they even have characters, they even have a character or two who do not write their own material, but their focus is always on, like, the biggest, you know, the big stars are the ones who write and record their own, you know, and record, perform their own material. So what you're saying is you find it inspirational as a writer. Uh, yeah, I think so. I think so. Inspirational is, is well, well, overstretching that, it, I suppose. But yeah, it's the fantasy. The fantasy that... that... You should definitely not be watching Murder, She Wrote. <laughs> because Angela, like you never... You see her writing maybe because there's a scene that starts with her like looking at a typewriter at best. <laughs> Murder, 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 Show, I want to say by definitely early season two if not the end of season one they've already done the angela lansbury plays two characters one of whom is a relative trope oh my god like really early on really early on they do that 
Wow, that sounds terrible. I have to say, that sounds hilariously terrible. It, uh, it, you have to watch one episode. That's the episode to watch. Google whatever the title is. It's when she goes to London and she meets Angela Lansbury. Who I want to is Angela Lansbury not British? Am I imagining that? I I don't know. I always assumed she was British, but I I think she might be British. But anyway, her British accent is so bad. <laughs> <laughs> That would be great as a Brit doing a terrible non-Brit, a terrible. But they also have. I want to say Patrick McNeese in that episode. There's definitely some other famous British actors in the episode, and his British accent is equally bad. Yeah, it's almost as if he's like, I've got to, you know, I've got to match her step by step. <laughs> I can't let her be alone. This terrible accent. I also have to do this weird full Cockney accent. Oh, oh Just, man! Ed, I'm with you, Angela. It's terrible, but. It's like it's the best bad episode because you have Angela Lansbury being uh, Jessica Fletcher and her trashier English cousin oh, with a terrible accent who's in the theatre. So you get British theatre jokes as well. Oh man, that's the best. Because hmm. so yeah, that's the episode to watch. Google whatever episode that is. Wow. Uh, uh, yeah, uh, she was born in Central London. Um, yeah. Well, her, her English accent is terrible. And she, well, she, she moved to New York City in 1940, so she was apparently 15 at that point. So, you know, she probably didn't get a chance to reuse it. But I think that's great. I'm like, ooh, Brits using horrible British accents. Tell me more. That sounds like <laughs> the best thing ever. Yeah, Ed, what, that one episode is, and if you like that, then you could probably go deeper into the murder throat hole. But if you don't, that you know very clearly it's not for you. I have to say, there is no <laughs> phrase I find more terrifying than, than going into the murder she wrote hole. Is like, <laughs> mm, I, I feel unclean, Graham. I have to go now. Oh. Uh, okay, that is let's by far stop the talking about this. this. And let's start talking about Avengers. No, wait! We still have to tell me what else you read. You got as far as Mystic. Oh, I think that was it. It, okay. was, so, it was so much less deeper than yours. Okay. Yeah. I, I also meant I completely forgot that I meant to tell you uh, I also read uh, Rogue Trooper Tales from New York Volumes 1 and 2 Ooh. from the library thank you library oh man I I I trailed off I have to re-pick it back up because uh, you know I think I'm still back on Volume 1 I was like kind of slowly savoring them and then my attention span just sort of led me off the path, but I want, I, I'm dying to get back. How did you enjoy it? Did you enjoy reading both volumes? Like kind of at a go yeah. like that or? Yeah, I had to, you can't read them all the way through. Mm -hmm. I, I think for example, you can read the, the dread, the big dread volumes all the way through. Yeah. You can't read a big rogue trooper volume all the way through. Uh, you really do burn out. Yeah. I, I don't know. I burn out on both actually. I, I've done both. Like I think, you know, and I think that's kind of a good thing. It's probably different with well, later I mean, they're, they're big case books files. Well. Yeah, they're like hundreds of pages and they're, you know, like five page stories. So there's a yeah. lot of content in there. Um, but yeah, there are but, times uh, where I, you just have to put it down. It's kind of fascinating reading them as well because you realize very quickly, very quickly in the first volume, that they're not science fiction stories at all. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, it's war stories that he's pretending is in space. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, there's a, a uh, for all this, you know, it's science fiction war. There's an episode where he's like, I'm going to catch up with that submarine. Except they don't call it a submarine, but it's a fucking submarine. Yes, exactly. Yeah. You know, and the artist draws it, and it's a submarine. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're like, yeah, this is literally just a war story. He's literally just doing a war story, except the lead character is blue. 
the lead character is blue, and you can sort of throw in whatever crap you want. And I, that, I weirdly enough, again, as we were talking well, it, about it, in our it previous totally episode, works. Yeah, yeah, it totally works. It totally works. Um, and I think one of the problems with uh, when Rogue Trooper started to go wrong was when people stopped treating it as a war story. Yeah, like when it started going more for the science fiction. Right. Well, and I think I think I want to say maybe I read this in in Throw Power Overload, but among those people was sort of Dave. Gibbons, right? I think wasn't Gibbons himself like kind of frustrated that Rogue Trooper, like he thought it was going to be very, uh, was going to be a science fiction war story and he felt it was less science fictiony than he'd been hoping yeah. for. And then he came back for his, uh, the reboot that he wrote that is terrible. Yeah, see, so I'm just like, again. I mean, it's, it's terrible in a fascinating manner. Mm -hmm. it's, it's one of those really interesting failures, but it's definitely a failure. Oof. Oof. Okay, we have to Edward, talk about Avengers. Avengers 51 through 75 because, God help you, I actually sat down and made notes because I had oh, so did? many different oh, things to talk so, about. Oh, God, thank you for that because I was uh, reading through them earlier on and I was like, this is like 24 comics. It's actually really hard to talk about. Jeff, hit me with your notes. Hit me with your best shots, Jeff. Okay, so I'm going to just mention some of the things that I like overall <laughs> well okay let, let's talk a little bit about um the part that is going to be less controversial because you and i are in agree in agreement which is the very strong 12 or 11 uh, 11 or 12 issues that run from approximately issue 51 to about issue 62 where yeah the, the thomas basima first run together yeah their first run together basima really clicks uh and thomas's ambitions um really do seem to grow uh i wanted to mention that um uh i don't think that i have a ton of things to say about issues 51 52 or 53 um the 51 is the collector issue, which you may remember where he gets Thor. And I, I feel like even though the collector had appeared previously in the Avengers, Thomas is, you know, the first one who actually treats him like the sort of the meta villain. You know, the idea that he has to own the whole set of Avengers, you know, is very much something that that makes a lot of that is one of those intuitive leaps that Thomas, the comic book fanboy would make that Stanley clearly did not make in his first appearance. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah. For and me, also yes. something that's, that's in this story as well is I think it's one of the first times where Thomas has fun with the material. Mm -hmm. He's definitely still playing with the tropes. You still have, you know, Thor is, is possessed and has to fight the other hero. He fights Iron Man. Yeah. Um, but in the dialogue, you get the idea that Thomas is almost winking to the reader. Oh Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. you get the idea of like, I know you've seen this before. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, let's share this joke. Let's share. Let let's both acknowledge this is nothing new and enjoy it for what it is. And I think that's the first time that Thomas really manages to do that in Avengers. Mm, interesting, interesting. That that's probably a, a really great insight because I feel that, um, a, I almost feel that a lot of how you you end up feeling about. Avengers, and this is sort of, I, I was hoping to have an organized talk and talk about the second half of the run where I suspect you and I, are, our feelings are much more divergent. But one of the things that I think is, is interesting about 
like you said, that feeling is that feeling seems to only get stronger as Thomas goes along. That Thomas, the, the, that maybe in some ways the birth of what we think of as heavily nostalgia driven Roy Thomas maybe then ends up starting, you know, somewhere much closer to here. Like it finally starts sort of coming out in that regard. Yeah, yeah, I'm not sure it's necessarily nostalgia at this point, though. There, no, uh, exactly. For, for me, it, it, it's the uh, for 51 is is the – it's when he somehow takes Stanley's meta jokes mm-hmm. further. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so it's, it's, it's the emergence of uh, irony, Thomas. Mm, interesting. I would see because uh, where he's, he's sort uh-huh. of incredibly self-aware in mm-hmm. fifty-one. Yes. No. And I think that's it. Is that when I say nostalgic Thomas, that's just sort of the end. Sort of the end game for Thomas is like he goes. It, you start getting that that self-aware stuff. His own brand of self-awareness, as opposed to just rehashing the Stan Lee self-awareness. Oh yeah. Yeah. Yes. Definitely. Yeah. So he starts moving towards that. And um, one thing I do want to point out, what, probably my favorite thing in in Avengers 51 uh, is may not actually be – is not in the story itself. It's that – did you see the letter from Doug Mensch or Moench in there? I, I didn't. I've oh, not my. been reading all the letters, although I have been devouring the bullpen bulletins. Oh, see, I've been skipping the bullpen bulletins. And I just I, – I basically glanced through the letter columns to see if I'm mi- – Catching anybody, and so seeing uh, Doug Munch in there. Yeah, and also at the end of the letter column, Tony Isabella. Yes, who pops up several times, as does uh, Peter Sanderson and a couple of other guys. But I love Doug Munch not just because it's he's in there, but also because he actually suggests keeping the number of heroes uh, down in each issue because he literally says it's more practical for the poor artist. What? I just, I just think that kind of like that blows my mind that you have like a Marvel fan who is basically kind of like, oh man, this artist is working so hard, you know, like, and it really oh, that, says that, something about. You who... think that's really common? I, 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 maybe I'm getting my timelines mixed up because I'm remembering things from my youth, which would have happened after this. Mm-hmm. But I definitely remember a, a lot of letter writers being of the. You know, oh man, you really made Artist X work in this issue, or give Artist X a raise. <laughs> oh yeah, no, no, no. There's, there's that, but that's of a like, oh, this person's hitting a new amazing level. Doug Munch is literally talking about like, like, come on, these artists, they work really hard. Like, and I just think that that I really wonder because he goes on to become a comic book writer. In many cases, one who works with the same artists over and over and over again over the course of decades, you know, it really makes me think that he, to me, I just kind of read that and it really struck me through, you know, my, you know, 100% hindsight vision that it was like, oh my God, this guy is really much more kind of attuned to sort of how the sausages are made and has kind of a weird much more humanistic approach or belief. He's, he's cared about the artists since yeah. he was a kid. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. In a way that, honestly, I feel like most people are kind of like, you know, you really got to give Hawkeye a break, you know? And so um, 52 has the intro of the Black Panther, and we get the Grim Reaper 
having Black Panther join the Avengers is, I think, one of the best things that happens during the course of this run overall. I think, you know, part of it is I love him as a character, but I also think that um, for the majority of the issues, having the Black Panther be a... You know, he's almost never a dick. You know, you've got yeah, such a high Yeah, Black Panther team. is a great adult in the yes. group. And he is one of the few, in fact, possibly the only, with the exception of the Vision, yes. in the group. The, the yeah. guy who doesn't lose his cool. Yes. And it's fascinating to me, uh, the politics of that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Because you couldn't have... I can totally imagine Thomas being like, well, you can't have an angry black man in the comic. Right. Well, it could... It Do you know what I mean? Be, like, yeah. masculinity... Mm-hmm. For all the white characters, right, comes out as machismo. Yeah, and it just doesn't for the Black Panther. Yeah, the Black Panther. Black, is Black Panther definitely... comes out as competency. Well, it's competency, but there, you're right that it is a very. Um... It's a very controlled. Yeah, but it's you know, it's a it's a very comforting white fantasy of of a black man. Uh, at, in yes. that particular time, yes. because it's like, oh yeah, the great thing is, is he's not angry. He is, you know, he's he's Sidney Portier cool. But on top of that, he really is like a ridiculously supportive character. Like, because I read all these things all through to get to, you know, the point that you know we would be able to talk about it this issue. So I was caught up as of last podcast, and then read these issues pretty quickly because you. You know, because of what you'd said, and then relook through them very, very quickly through while making my notes. And one of the things is, is I don't know if it's honestly that John Basima likes drawing the Black Panther, maybe just because he's simple, but sim- you know, he's a simple figure to draw. But there's a lot of splash pages with the Panther. There's a lot of scenes of the Panther in action. Like, in the action scenes, like, you know, the classic is, of course, in this issue where he breaks into Avengers Mansion and he's running through, like, the tubes and things. But you have a lot of a lot of issues where the Black Panther is kind of running around doing cool shit on his well, own or is a big prominent part of the superhero fights getting resolved. But here's the thing. The Black Panther is also Captain America. Yes. but The Black Panther comes in to play the Captain <coughs> America role. Mm-hmm. He's the adult, he's the hyper guy, he's the guy without superpowers. Right. And but he's the athlete. But what's interesting is is that he's the he's the Captain America role better than the cap better than Be- Captain better America. Better than Captain America is at this point. Yeah. Yeah. Because Cap- Captain America is such a hot headed crybaby who half the time is really inefficient. And in fact it's I'm really looking forward to talking about the black, the Captain America issue later on where they go back in time. And once again, Captain America is completely terrible and a dick. So <laughs> I, something I really want to draw to your attention here. Issue mm-hmm. 52, Black Panther joins the team, makes his appearance yes. uh, in New York for the first time. Mm-hmm. Black Panther is for one of the few times wearing a half mask. Yes. Okay. This is really, really important because it's a plot point that gets completely ignored later on. Yes. Oh, as so many plot points do. 
but, so but, many I mean, platforms to amazing, do it, but you're right, that is one. Thing later yeah. on, because later on, someone's <laughs> like, I know it ever told me that Black Panther was black when he first appeared. Yes. He's fucking wearing a half mask. Don't lie. He takes his mask off like, halfway through the book for the authorities. I know. I know. It's it, like, it's really, really, and later on, they're like, why did no one tell me that the Black Panther was black? Which is also I, hilarious, because I'm like, at that point, Marvel, every character they have is, if they're black, they're called black something. Not so only the that, idea Black Panther that... also keeps talking about how he's come from the jungle nation of Wakanda. Oh, I know. I know. <laughs> like, it's it's the idea that people are like, I never knew. It's hilarious. Yes. <laughs> I yeah, have to say... I, I, I wanted to bring your attention to the fact that... Thank like, you. That is, that is great. I utterly yeah. forgot. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> black Panther very clearly is black and mm-hmm. tells everyone this. Right. Well, actually, I have to say it's one of those... Like, I, it's so tough because maybe I'm like, I've got all these individual notes. Maybe we should talk about some of the larger strokes of things and I can dive into the various things that I like. But, like, the first couple of issues of the Black Panther, again, he's, like, one of my favorite characters. I love him. It's clear that they're trying to do something with him, um, you know, like to make him, like, a very inspirational figure and also kind of a figure without weaknesses. And yet... Roy Thomas's continual shorthanding of the first four or five issues where everyone calls him, calls Black Panther Jungle Man really creeps me out, you know? Oh, God, yes. Yeah, it's uh, it's one of those things because Thomas is clearly trying to be hip and down with the kids. Yes. And so everyone has, you know, uh, Giant Man is high pockets. Like yes. everyone's got a, a, a nickname. Yeah. Yeah, but Jungle Man is one of those that you're just like, someone should have said no. Yeah, someone like, really like, wish have been. Like, I I can't believe no one yeah. thought. Well, maybe this is going to be offensive. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, eventually, I feel like it, it trails off after the first five or six issues. I know, but still, that's no. It's a it's a, a very uncomfortable six months there. Yeah, no, believe me, it's really, really, I was like, and then the other thing I think, you know, I, I, again, I, that is something that I feel for the most part is an unconscious mistake on, on Thomas's part and may even have been his way of like, because he felt like the Black Panthers knew there's a certain amount of him having to explain who he is every issue. And it feels like sometimes that's the uncomfortable way that Thomas tries to shorthand it. But I have to say readings issue 51 through 76 over the, over this last month, um, you had mentioned in our earlier talk about the Avengers kind of about Stanley's issues with women. Um, but I feel like Roy Thomas has much weirder issues with women, I suppose. Uh, well, I mean, the, this is the run that includes the infamous uh, Yellow Jacket storyline, which right. is amazingly... I mean, there's no way... Yeah. But far, far more than the Hank Pym has beaten Wasp, <coughs> there's nothing that is more damaging to uh, the Wasp as a character than... Than that sort of oh, line. completely. I mean, it, the, it's it's yeah. appalling. Yeah, I yeah. mean, it it's, uh, yeah, it's yeah. Roy Thomas has Roy Thomas has lots of issues, but yeah. um, in fact, Yellow Jacket and the Wasp. The 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 only way that it has the story has any drama at all is if you think that Roy Thomas's issues with women or the Wasp are, are even worse than you might have thought that they were. You know what I mean? 
Because, because honestly, when you read that issue, you're just like, okay, there is no way in hell that that Janet Van Dyne is going to marry the man who murdered the person that she loved, unless you really think that Roy Thomas is a mess and really hates. I can't well, tell if yeah, he... no, no, that's true. It, the, the drama only works if you're like, wow, Roy Thomas is really fucked up. Yeah. Otherwise, yeah, I, I, didn't, I didn't realize that's what you meant. Yeah, the, the drama only works if you think, wow, this man is appalling. This, yeah. this man should not have been on the streets. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. But uh, I just want to say really quickly before we move on to that, uh, did you also notice that the Black Panther isn't called the Black Panther for a few issues? Um, I don't think I did notice that. Was they just called him the Panther? Or yeah. he okay. very purposely calls himself the Panther for like four or five issues mm-hmm. before they're like, we can call him the Black Panther after all. But yeah, he's right. he's denamed, he's demasked and denamed for his first few issues. That's which right. is kind of fascinating to me. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so so big stuff from this, did this run? Uh, Th- Thomas really subtly bringing back Iron Man, and Captain America, and Thor to the team. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. To, to the point where he never actually says they're properly back, but they just keep coming in. And then later on, he's like, they're not at this meeting. They've got other things to do. And you're like, oh, did they actually rejoin? Right, right. Actually, I think that is one of the, the floating membership stuff is actually something that kind of works well. And unless I'm mistaken, sort of, um, oh, no, it's interesting because it really is. It's one of those things where it's like, as a result, when Thor and Iron Man and yes, Captain America, are in a storyline, it feels bigger. You know what I mean? It really does feel a little, like, more urgent, I think. Um, it's, 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 yeah, it's a special occasion. Yeah, exactly. But, so, but what's interesting is this is also the, the run where Thomas manages to build up the other characters to be enough when they're not there. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I honestly, again, and this is thanks to the miracle of the Black Panther, and then when you bring in the Vision in 57, you start getting, it's just not the team of hotheads anymore. And so you actually, to me, it's like, because honestly, 50% of the time I find, I found Hank Pym pretty grating all the way through, no matter which character he is, because he, he is so eternally bad tempered. Like, you know, it's like, Honestly, the the sad fact of the matter is is that um, Hank Pym, as kind of an emotionally damaged individual uh, that everyone's tried to disprove for so long, really is a much more consistent take. Oh yeah, it it, it he only works as a character if you if you take that because all throughout the Avengers something is going wrong and he puts every social nicety to one side to sort out his own problems. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's sort of continually, perpetually, like, self-obsessed uh, and and really very dangerously bad-tempered. Like, there are scenes where – there's scenes where he and Hawkeye are, like, openly fighting and it's a way to distract the villains, but there's times when they're just – fucking openly fighting you know yeah, exactly and you're always like wait he could actually just kill hawkeye like yeah. he grabs somebody's like i will crush you and you're like, <laughs> come on even as a play fight this is fucking dangerous you guys yeah, yeah seriously is- yeah it, it is it's it is a little bit of the for whatever reason it's i guess because it's really descended from that sort of thing and torch uh dynamic that that Lee and Kirby very quickly managed to make way more playful than dangerous. 
you know. Yeah, and, and way more um, loving, for want of a better yeah, word. Yeah, exactly. There, were, there was always the idea – well, that's not true. There wasn't always the idea. No. Very quickly, there was the idea that – they were doing it out of affection, and it was yeah. stick to both of them. Yeah, yeah, that it's like affectionate roughhousing for both of them. Um, but like you said, it doesn't start out that way. Whereas, like Avengers, you still have stuff in the mid fifties, and you're just like, oh, Hank Pym's gonna kill a guy. You know, he's just gonna <laughs> fucking kill a person. And then in the middle of that, they're like, and then he breathed in some chemicals and became a fucking schizophrenic. Yeah, it's you know, at that, yeah. at that point. Someone should be like, Hank, in all seriousness, give up this rearing business. Yeah. Maybe you need to talk to someone. Yeah, you and, really and do. No one – it's one of those things where, you know, Thomas doesn't follow up on it because, A, he's not interested, and B, the yellow jacket thing was a gimme. Do you know what yeah. I mean? Like, he was just like, okay, he's he's just going to do this because I want to give him another new identity. Right. So he's going to have amnesia, essentially. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, but it's amnesia with it, and it gives you an entirely different personality, and you have fake memories where you killed who you were before. Right. You know, yeah, exactly. At that <laughs> stage, you're like, yeah. you are a fucking mess, brother. Well, that, you have got to get it, yourself. You know? yeah. I, mm-hmm. I, but there's the point where you read it now, and you're like, well, that's really fucking dark shit. Yeah, 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 yeah. I can't, I can't imagine reading it. And I read, I read that story. I think that might be the first Avenger story I ever read. Oh, really? Yeah, it was in a uh, an annual when I was a kid, a, a British annual, a British hardcover annual. Man, um, like the two parts of that. And I want to say they had a third issue. What what, what is the other issue around that? Um, um, well, get the thing. Yeah, it, well, maybe, it, maybe they didn't. See, it's like two issues. So unless they threw in that Doctor Strange one with the issue sixteen, no, it, it really, it really was those two issues. Yeah. Oh, it was the two issues, and then uh, they had a third issue in the annual, which was uh, Conan, and it's the first appearance of Red Sonia. Oh wow! Yeah, it was there a crazy ass annual. Yeah. Um, but I remember reading it, and I must have been four or five. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, wait. <laughs> He, he had a gas that made him think that he killed himself. Yeah, yeah. And no one's upset about this. Yeah, no, it like, really is. Even as a kid, I was like, wait, mm-hmm. everyone seems to be cool about this, and it is not cool. Yeah. You know, it is kind of amazing, because reading it, and it's I. what's great about our read is, we'll get to it, is it reminds me of the great Carol Danvers debacle of the Avengers that comes later on down the road. Oh, yeah. What did you get? <coughs> you can't read now without being like well that's messed up right that is hugely messed up and and what is wrong with everyone that they are just oblivious to how wrong this is it's one thing that it's how wrong the other characters are going on but as we'll see by the time we get to issue 75 or 76 um you know thomas is more or less doing it again with that crazy scarlet witch you know, even though you want to conquer my world and you've, you know, you've taken me for my as a queen without me, you know, with me objecting all the time, I feel that I could love you, Archon. You know, that kind of thing. It's just like, ooh. Yeah, he's, ah. he's, uh, he's, he's got some interesting there, there's actually issues. <laughs> there, there is in the first appearance of the of the Vision issue fifty seven. There's that amazing scene where like Wasp is being attacked by the Vision. And then when Hank Pym, like, grows to giant size and breaks through the window and the vision leaves, like, the wasp says she's going to charge him for the – she's going to bill him for the window. Do you remember that? I was just like, 
what the fuck is up with it? Like, really, that kind of scene, that was another thing where I was like, I don't know if this was just a plot, the way it was plotted that, that, you know, that Thomas had to vamp for some dialogue in that particular panel, but it comes out in like, really, someone saves your life and you're going to build them for a window and oh, you're but, rich, but, you know? The wasps, the wasp is a, I love the wasp as a character. I, I do too. Yeah. And the wasp is a, in the first few issues of the Avengers, like when Lee's writing, mm-hmm. is, is my favorite character in the book. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, yeah. she's one of the few who's not the hothead, and she's just like, this is fun! Right. Um, and then you get to write Thomas, and the Wasp has this terrible, almost character assassination going on. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Where really she is, she is, wonder. like, weirdly materialistic. Yes. Weirdly miserly. Mm-hmm. Uh, utterly scatterbrained. Right. But it's the, the, uh, the Kang arc. Oh, God. Kang, was... Kang is like, I'm going to kidnap the Avengers. They're all going to fight, apart from the Wasp, who's literally just going to hang out. And she's like, oh, what can I do? Yeah. And it's oh. like, you're a fucking superhero. That's, and that... then she, she has to wait for the Black Knight to rescue her. Yeah, and the she's Black like, Knight rescues her. You, you got it, mister. And she's weirdly bossing him around. Yes. Like, it's, it's, yeah, it's it's the treatment of the Wasp and the way he writes the Wasp is nuts. And it's really funny when funny in a not funny at all kind of horrific sense. Yes. Uh, when you consider how he wrote and later writes the Scarlet Witch, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, because the Scarlet Witch is also amazingly passive and yet weirdly uh, bossy. Uh, yes, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. do you know what yeah. I mean? Like she, she has no agency, mm-hmm. and yet she acts as if everything revolves around her. She acts as if she has she has ultimate control. Yeah. yeah. Um, and the Wasp does the same thing, and it's this really weird. You get the idea that Thomas thinks he's being forward thinking yeah. in the dialogue. Right. Uh, and yet everything else about that he does with female characters is amazingly re- regressive. Yeah. It, it, it to me really feels like, I mean, let's face it, you know, it was the era of free love. And one of the things that we found out is those, those hippie gentlemen were not nearly as progressive as as anyone who's read a decent biography of John Lennon's learned, maybe not as as progressive as as you know they espoused, but there is something with Thomas where I actually feel, and everyone will be glad to know that I've taken my my uh, over scrutinization uh, slash you know emotional imagination lens off of Matt Fraction and put it on Roy Thomas, um, where I'm like, man, I really there's one of the issues. It is the first issue of the um, Avengers where it's like – because right after uh, – sorry, the first issue of Avengers. First appearance of Vision right after um, you have that scene with Jan basically chastising uh, Goliath for breaking in the window. You've got the scene where um, – uh, Hawkeye Black- and Black Widow? Yes, where Black Widow just basically breaks up with Hawkeye because he's been too busy. And I'm just like – Everything about it was like, man, I'm pretty sure that Roy Thomas was in the middle of his first marriage and it was bad by this point. I could be wrong. Well, but, but... but is that also not, uh, and I, maybe I, this is what happens when you read so many issues of Avengers Nights to each other. Mm-hmm. Is that not part of like, that's her cover story because she has a mission? I don't think so. This or is time... that literally just her being like, nope. Yeah. 
this is her being like, nope. She she basically is like, I'm going to take another mission with uh, Nick Fury and Shield, and he's like, like why? why? For me. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And it's like, you are dull. We're not doing anything. You're not romancing me. And so it really is this weird like, you only get one or the other kind of thing. And and it really comes out of nowhere. And it's like, huh. And then I think later on, like toward the end of the seven, you know, the early seventies, they have the same thing happen all over again, you know? And it's just like, wow, there's, you know, it, it's, it's after Hawkeye's become Goliath at that point, And she's kind of like, yeah, I'm through with you. And, and it's, and he does say something. It's one of those, like, you'd have to say that you never loved me. And she's like, I never loved you. And it's clearly supposed to be a soap opera y thing, but because we've been around on this particular merry go round under Thomas's run, you know, it'd be one thing I think if another writer's like sort of repeating well, yeah, that's it, like a year before. Mm-hmm. And then like two years before that. So it's like woof. Um me... also we should talk about the fact that uh the Visions for Experience uh leads into the revealed Ultron's back. Yes. And the revealed Ultron back leads to the flashback that shows that once again, Hank Pym is not a mentally stable individual because he's been hypnotized to forget creating Ultron. Yes. Actually, one of the things that I think is really interesting is, is that if you look at the way that it's set up, the issues 54 and 55, which are the introduction of Ultron and the new Masters of Evil, which I want to jump back to in, in a sec, and issues 57 uh, and 58 are basically sort of one interconnected story. Yeah, it's you know? four-parter. Yeah, yeah, it's four-parter interrupted by um, uh, the Yellow Jacket story, isn't it? Uh, no, 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 Jacket, no. Yellow, Yellow Jacket, Jacket comes, comes after. It's the it's great... Oh, it's interrupted by... Oh, God. Captain America's an by... asshole again. Like, Captain yes. America comes back and is a dickhole. I, it is, I just It's interrupted by oh, Death Be Not Proud. The... Yeah. The latest episode of Captain America being the most self-absorbed man in the world. I I love how consistently <laughs> Captain America is a dickhead. Um, I I love the fact that again, there's that thing of like Thomas just can't necessarily get, wrap his brain around. Like sometimes he's just writing so quickly to have stuff happen that he has, you know, that he has. But I love the fact that they come to that castle. And they're like, it turns out to be Captain America. They like jump him and they find him and he's like, you idiots, it's me. And, and they're like, but you know, they're kind of like, but why were you hiding from us? He's like, I was sitting here lost in thought. It's like, they, the tunnel was mined. Did you just accidentally <laughs> mine the tunnel? I love. <laughs> Wait, what? The best. Guess I was too deep in thoughts. Thoughts about Bucky. <laughs> well, exactly. Bucky, and he's dead. Is he like? Is he? I love also, it. That issue really feels like a, even though it's a regular creative team, it feels yes. like a fill-in, doesn't it? Oh, it's a, it's a huge fill-in issue. It's a huge, because this cause issue makes one. no fucking sense. Oh, Just not at all. Yeah. No sense. Yeah. They yeah. travel in time where they're only ghosts until, for some reason, the wasp in a fugue state, presses a button. She falls asleep. asleep. Again, it's this like, I hate the wasp. She literally blacks out. And I'm like, she's like, well, what's wrong with me? Can't fight off this feeling of drowsiness. And I'm like, oh, somebody has, you know, some supervillain has cast a sleep spell on her and she hits that button that makes them material. Nope. She just falls asleep on the most important job of her life, you know, where the people she cares about are back in time. 
Then oh. my brief drowsiness did no real harm. For if it had, I could have never forgiven myself. Yes. I don't explain it. He's just like, she fell asleep. She just fell asleep. She's like, ah, you know how it is. Mama had her martinis. Meanwhile, <laughs> oh my god, that's the wasp I want to read. <laughs> that actually would be kind of great. <laughs> like the wasp is Lucille Bluth from Arrested Development. <laughs> Oh my god, that'd be so great. But don't you love to, to go back in time and Captain America's like, I've got to see what happens. And then it's supposed to become uh, material. Captain America's like, fuck the space-time continuum. Yes. I'm changing history. And they're all like, okay then. I See, okay, so again, the thing that is brilliant about how they consistently make Captain America just the worst person in the world is... It would make sense if Captain America was like, he goes back in time and he can't help himself and he has to try and change time. But he's the one lecturing everybody about it all the way through. He's like, you can't do anything. Remember, don't do anything. They become a scene and he's like, fuck it. They're still saying us. Everything. Look, everything's off the table. Also, what's great is that everyone idolizes Captain America at this point. Like everyone, there's, there's no one fighting against him because he's not a regular character so now everyone idolizes him yes. to the point where you know the black panther is beating people up and he's, captain america's like good good punch in there black panther and he's yes. like that's the greatest compliment coming from the greatest fighter in the world ever yeah that's a supreme compliment i i do like again it's that thing of i just i love how fucking unhinged captain america is in these issues and yeah, and yet he's constantly, everyone loves him so much. Although it's fascinating because he's, since he's not in here as much, there is a little less of it than Stan Lee. It was really, to me, amazingly mystifying how much, you know, Cap was his Mary Sue. Um, by the way, speaking of the Wasp and speaking of Arrested Development, we, I have to go back, and this is so sad. We're going to be talking about, we're supposed to be talking about issues 50 through, you know, 75, and we're going to only be talking about these eight issues and not even any numerical order because that's how insane we are. <laughs> Issue 54, which is the introduction of the new Masters of Evil, has to me what I think is the best superhero, supervillain setup of all time and the fact that that they don't the whirlwind is the wasp's chauffeur yes that the (laughs) the charles the chauffeur is the wasps oh my god is can we also can we also talk about the fact that i mean busama does amazing job in these issues yes but i'd like to ask you to look at the second page of the story Mm -hmm. okay the fifth panel why are jarvis's hands so big let me, I gotta jump back to it. Hold on. Jarvis's hands become monstrous when he's on the phone. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It is true. Like, it is. Hilariously. It's, it's, it's so, also, this is, this is the first time that you really get Jarvis. Like, Jarvis has appeared once before the story. Right. And they're like, Jarvis, we all love Jarvis. Jarvis is great. Purely to build up the fact that he betrays the team. Yes. And it's so funny because he, he's literally appeared in one panel before this. Yes. And then they bring him on, they're like, what would we do without our faithful butler? Can you imagine reading it, like, at the time, and being like, I, I don't know, I mean, we've never seen that faithful butler before. Get yes. another faithful butler? I mean, right. really? Right. Now, we're like, Jarvis, it's Jarvis, he's the greatest guy ever. Well, the other thing that's amazing about it, too, is is that, um, although it, Jarvis is clearly a New Yorker, 
I had always assumed that Jarvis was, you know, sort of your traditional English butler. And even though he says that he's visiting his mother in the Bronx and then he goes downtown, so that could be a total lie, they totally talk about him. He's like standing on this rubble-strewn neighborhood corner, and he says, I was brought up on a block just like this. Oh, you no, he, yeah. He, mm-hmm. I, 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 because I remember the Walt Simonson run, the really short Walt Simonson run, because mm-hmm. uh, you meet. Jarvis's mother in that run. Oh, really? See, yeah, because because the Avengers break up and Jarvis leaves the mansion and he goes back to live with his mother. Oh man! And there, there's an issue that's just like Jarvis's day and he's like hanging out with his mother. It's oh, it's oh, it's great. It's so I, I, I was about to say, I want that so badly. Just, just wait. It's oh just my it gosh. might be like issue two hundred ninety nine. Like oh. it's just before issue three hundred. And it's so great. But, um, yeah, so for, like, for me, again, that was, that was, I read that, that was what, 86, 87? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I must have read that when I was 12 or 13. Yeah, so we'll So get Jarvis to is very firmly, yeah, you know, a New Yorker for me. Wow, that's crazy. I did not, because they had so, um, so turned him into kind of just genera butler. I sort of half thought he was. English never gave it any thought. So it was kind of interesting to see such a much more sort of rough hewn, regular working Joe being a butler. And it was kind of like, oh, you know, again, I thought of him as such a sophisticated guy. But there's nothing better than the idea that fucking Janet Van Dyne, her fucking chauffeur, is a supervillain, knows it. She's bossing him around, and he's just, like, plotting revenge. It's like a Ventures Brother episode <laughs> times 12 to me. <laughs> just this whole, like, just you wait. Just you wait. Yeah, totally. It's like, get around. Yes, ma'am. Oh, soon you will pay. Or just, in, like, passively, aggressively, like, I'm driving in too high a gear. I'm destroying the acceleration. <laughs> you know, I... Love And I love the fact that it was, like, when the Masters of Evil disperse, Whirlwind still goes back to being her chauffeur. Like, he's still like, well, that didn't work. Back to being her chauffeur. Like, he's, like, beaten up. She doesn't pay any attention. Come on. Oh, my God. Well, that's what I love. I just adore that. I just thought there is something, everything about that. The My supervillain, my chauffeur, is, like, just the fucking phenomenally best. Like, I don't know that they how they were doing that with even a remotely straight face. But, um, so yeah, the new Masters of Evil storyline, which also has that great reveal of the robot, and you're like, oh my god, it's Ultron. But because nobody knows it's Ultron at the time, like, the scene doesn't play right. You know what I mean? Like, everyone's yeah, like... It's, it's so great, because it's it's like, Thomas was like, oh, just wait until we see the robots, and it lands so weirdly. Yeah. They're so... like, it's a robot, Okay. Right. But it's not, but it's like that whole idea of like, well, the crimson cowl isn't really the robot. It's really Jarvis. And just that whole idea of like, then in the next issue, no, it's really the robot. And I'm like, I'm still waiting for it to be like, no, the, it's really the crimson cowl. You know, it's just goes on and on and on. It, it's just, it is great how much of a shorthand there is in all of the issues where like he'll introduce the concept and then to reveal that only really makes sense if you knew about the concept more than two pages earlier. 
Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like the the Quimsy Cows and who you thought he was. Well, I just met him like three pages earlier, right. so he's I, okay. I didn't think he's he anyone. was anybody. Exactly, exactly. You know what they're like? He's no, he's not. A, he's a robot, and you're like, okay, he's a robot. He's yeah. not a robot. He's Jarvis, who you only met at the start of this issue. Oh shit! Okay, fine. Mind blowing. Whatever. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. There's such a thing of Thomas like trying to do like those big greatest hits thing without <laughs> any sort of scaffolding stupid. set up, like. I, like he almost was like, oh shit! I didn't introduce the butler back in issue thirty-six. Oh well, let's just go with this. This is going to be. He well, just I'm going to through it. It's so great. Yeah, which really does. I mean, I was shocked to find that the origin of the vision, first appearance of the vision, and then the origin of the vision, which happens right after, is like two issues. And even when you hook it up with the other rest of the epic, it's only you know four issues, five issues altogether because of the other stuff that they jam in there. Well, yeah, you but know? also you then go from that to Yellow Jacket straight away. Like, it's, yes. it's, it's such a hyper compressed, like, Avengers lore is in these six issues. Yeah. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Like, in a six month run. Yeah. Thomas yeah. and Basima basically create the Avengers lore as we know it. Yeah. They exactly. do Ultron, they do the Vision, they do Yellow Jacket, they do Jarvis. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's all like, holy shit, it's all here. Like, this is the mother load. You're yeah. from like 54 through 60. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. It's nuts. Yeah. It, that it's such Because, like you said, there's a weird half fill in issue. Yeah, I'm sorry. It's It feels like a fill in issue where, as far as I can tell, it really was, you know, Roy Thomas for whatever reason being like, no, Bucky's decisively dead. You know? It's, I, yeah. So, You're not bringing Bucky back, you guys. Yeah. Well, it did stick for a long time, you have to say. So, so... But, but again, okay, so what I was saying last time mm-hmm. was, so you have all that, and it's like so amazing. Do you know what right. I mean? It, it's, it really is. Here's the DNA of the Avengers. Yes. Uh, and then, almost immediately, it starts getting weird again. Yeah. So you have, like, the Doctor Strange guest starring in his mask, always my favorite hero of Doctor Strange. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It makes no sense with the some say the worlds will end in fire, some in ice, sorry, some say in ice, two splash pages on two consecutive pages just to get the title over. Yeah. That, and also it's such a wonderfully pretentious title. Oh, it's so pretentious. That, that you're like, this is prime Roy Thomas. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. Th- this is Roy Thomas. And then his Ned's, like, his opening caption is, 3 a.m. as the sleeping city wraps itself ever more tightly in its mantle of darkness! Exclamation point. But there are pockets of light amidst the shadows, amidst... And one of these is in the far-famed Avengers Mansion. Oh, yeah. You know, it's it's so... Uh, he's he's in his full purple prose. Well, because I honestly feel that that issue... Um, the... the is Which one is the conclusion of... Um, is it issue 50... It's fi- issue 58... What's the one where you've got the Ozymandias panel? That's all the way back in '57, the last page with the the quote from the, the oh yeah, that, that's, poem. that's that's yeah, that's '57. Yes, yeah, so you've got issue '57, which where well, we, well, he does throw away the last page to get his quote in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, because he gets the, he gets the quote in, and you get the whole thing of the the robot on the junk heap, and it really is like considering that quote pretty much becomes the weird cornerstone of Watchmen. It's like this weirdly primal page of comics, you know, and I honestly think when he did it, because because they did that weird silent epilogue sort of thing, um, I think 
by the time issue 61 has rolled around, that pretension, he got so much attention and so much praise for it that he was like, just you wait, just you wait. I have, you know, like a death, like a death ray in the sky, a three page spread of one of the worst titled comics of all times. Cause it's like twinkle, twinkle, little star. Like a death ray in the sky, or whatever the whatever the fuck. Twinkle, it is. twinkle, little talking. star. How I wonder what you are up above the world, so high, like a death ray. See, they do the, the whole sky. thing. I was like, even my brain, I couldn't accept. I just reread this stuff, and I'm like, no, he didn't really do that, but he really does. He actually gets so full of himself that he has to do like. Well, when did this? When did that come out? Because what it really reminded me of more than anything else, mm-hmm. it came out. Uh, Where's the date? 69, yeah. yeah. So it reminds me of the same pretension and the same uh, lifting of classical or uh, cultural tropes that Star Trek did. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, Star Trek, like like a death ray from the star, this, this guy, Star Trek would have had an episode like that. Yeah, it would have had a title called that, like a death ray. Do you know You're what I right, mean? Absolutely. So it, it's, it's mm-hmm. very much a, a, a cultural or a countercultural mm-hmm, aspect, mm-hmm. I think. Right. That but also, like a death ray from the sky, uh, Basima's off the book by this point. Yes. Uh, Gene Colan's taken over as artist. Gene Colan uh, can do many things brilliantly. He can't do Basima. It's kind of interesting, isn't it? Like, one of the things I thought was fascinating was when you see him on Avengers, your first thought is, for me, was like, oh, I kind of see why they would make that leap. Like, there's a sort of a similar way that Basima and Colin approach, like, their close-ups of their faces and and the faces and the hands in a way that's kind of like, oh, okay, this could be a good match. But it's not. It is, he absolutely, Gene Colin is so wrong for the Avengers, and it's such an uncomfortable fit. Um, I love when the swordsman comes back and Gene Colan is just like, okay, I'm going to have like a two page spread just because I can draw this in like 10 minutes, you know, like he really is just like, this is not his bag. These are not the things he likes to draw. He just doesn't have the empathy for it. You know, he just is a big superhero book is just not like a big superhero team book is really not Colin's thing. You know? Yeah. It, yeah. It's, it's, it's fascinating, but also Okay, so by this point, we're into the point where I was saying, you know, the book for me suddenly takes a dive. Yes. Like, it's reached its peak and it just dives. Right. And part of it is Basima's gone. And Basima brought this incredible um, uh, theatricalness in mm-hmm. the character pose that yeah. completely matched the melodrama in Thomas's writing. Yes. You know what I mean? They're both going for this weirdly operatic Yes. Like over the top, surreal in the in the true meaning of the word. You right. know, the the hyper reality. Yes. Um and so Basima's gone and Thomas is still there. Thomas is still like, No wait, like mm-hmm. a death ray from the sky, motherfuckers. Yes. Uh and, and Colin just can't can't match up. Just, yeah. just cannot do it. Um but also you get the weird fucking Hawkeye just becomes Goliath mm-hmm. thing. Yes, I get. I like. I find really, really weirdly problematic. I do too. And I find, yeah. I, I find it problematic, like in the, for the weirdest reason. <laughs> I get weirdly upset at the uh, a part of it at the continuity of 
apparently anyone just needs to drink this this thing, mm-hmm. this liquid, and they can do it. And, you know, Thomas even has to have it right in a line of dialogue, like, well, that potion drove me insane, but it doesn't seem to be having the same effect. Yeah, mm-hmm. Exactly. Like, he has, has to actually write that in. Yeah. Because yeah. he's previously established, well, it drove me nuts. Yeah, exactly. And then he's like, well, apparently it's not for you, because I, this is the other thing that really upset me. He kind of is like, well, you know, a normal guy in the Avengers, that, that just doesn't work. I'll have to give him superpowers. Yes, exactly. I mean, that is my thing, is is that ultimately Thomas is more annoyed by, well, and, and in fact, they talk about it on, like, some of the letters pages, is that basically um, Thomas knows about all the superhero, all the many superheroed archers in comics, and he clearly thinks that Hawkeye's the least interesting one of them, you know? And so he really is, he's like, you know, because someone actually says, like, well, there's Green Arrow, but you're also forgetting about, like, again, it's in in the back of some issue thing where somebody is literally mentioning all of, like, going back to the 30s, like, and he only had three issues, but, you know, Bowman, and of course Thomas knows all these characters and throws in a few others in his reply, but he's like, you know, and does that sort of faux, like, you know, if there's one thing I've learned from reading Marvel page, letters pages from this era, it's that, but we're throwing up to you, readers, what do you think is shorthand for we are never talking about this ever again? Yes, but also, we don't even want to talk about it now. We don't. No, it totally is (laughs) like... like, we will mm. pretend that we listen. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's true. Really, we're just like... You know, sure, whatever, kids. Yeah, yeah. So I, I honestly think that it would be hilarious to do a spoof of, like, all those various awful, like, pickup artist books, which is, like, how to pick up women the Marvel Comics way, which would be, like, taking all of the various pretending to listen <laughs> techniques that they use in the letters pages and putting them into place on actual dates, because it is ridiculous how inauthentic and not caring the majority of those letters column replies are, and yet managed to somehow snow all of us into conveying absolutely 100% the opposite for such a long time. So disturbing. Yeah, so. It's, uh, but no, yeah, so, so getting rid of Hawkeye and turning him into Goliath is just, it's such a terrible move. It's, it's a terrible move. It's such a half-assed move. Like, see, this is so poorly done it's poorly done but what's great is i don't feel like it's half-assed the the horror thing it's a bad mistake and then thomas doubles down on it because it's bad enough that it happens oh, that it oh, happens he sticks, oh he sticks with it yeah he sticks yeah, with he's, it for a long time he's the, not, he doesn't decide it's a bad idea it's a great idea for oh him. it's not just that it's a great i mean you're right but the thing is is like it literally is the point around each of the following issues spins on it is the idea that now that Hawkeye is Goliath the swordsman is confused you know what I mean like there's all these things that happen where Egghead's like now Goliath my arch enemy you will pay yeah it's so great but then uh, Barney appears and Barney knows him immediately which I love and he's just like come on you think I wouldn't recognize your voice I love that Thomas really tries to have it both ways yeah he really does he really does Um, also again Barney Barton is amazing because it's one of those classic, like, as I was reading the issue, I'm like, wait, are we, did did Roy just think that everyone forgot 
Hawkeye's last name? Like, because it really is, like, the thing at the last page where he's like, well, of course, he's my brother! It's my brother! And I'm yeah. like... But, but again, also, did you have a moment where you're like, wait, Barney Barton's dead? Because he's not these days. Oh, exactly. That's one of the things that's hilarious, was reading that issue at, just days after reading, like, the first 12 issues of Hawkeye by, you know, Fraction, David Aja, and Assorted others and having him be alive and having him be a and well it's one of the things that's hilarious he's just the same way that hawkeye is a completely different person in fractions hawkeye right, yeah, exactly. it makes sense that his brother is totally and absolutely completely different you know it's oh okay i'm going to take a, a detour for a second mm-hmm uh, just because what you said reminded me. One of the things that fascinates me so much about Secret Avengers, which I really enjoyed, mm-hmm. is that I feel that it is the most successful melding of Fractions Hawkeye with Avengers Hawkeye that I've seen yet. Oh, really? Yeah. Hmm. Uh, in large part because they're clearly riffing off of Fractions Hawkeye. Mm-hmm. I mean, visually, first of all, Michael Walsh does a great... He basically puts Fractions Hawkeye in the Brian Hitch costume. Mm-hmm. But somehow, like the costume becomes much shabbier as a result. Do you know what I mean? So, so you you can buy that it, the character in Fractions book would be would would wear that costume, right? Uh, but I feel that Alj is actually either taking the piss or just lifting Fraction stuff wholesale from the from uh, from the Fraction series in situations that are an Avengers situation. Hmm. And it weirdly works. Like huh. there's, there's there's dissonance, right. but there's, there's here's the thing: Secret Avengers is a comedy, right? Which may not have been immediately apparent uh, from the setup, but definitely under under the new series, it's a comedy. Huh? That's uh, kind of amazing. And so and so it definitely works. Do you mm-hmm. know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So you have, you know, this looks bad. This looks really really bad. And then at one point he's like, "Do I say that too much?" <laughs> Which is like this wonderful meta joke of the fact that he says it in practically every issue of Fraction Run. <laughs> That's really funny. That's yeah, great. It, it's it's uh, if if you're still being gifted a Marvel Unlimited subscription by the time that it comes over on that, or if someone sends you a code, right? Uh, yeah, a Secret Avengers issue one, they 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 caught Walsh issue. I was was really surprisingly strong. Oh, that's good. I, w- I would like to read it. I heard I heard pretty good things about it when it came out. And again, it was one of those like, ah, darn it. So, okay, so, back, back back to old Avengers. Back, back to-, to old Avengers. Oh, so here's the thing that's really problematic, Graham, is for me, is that um, last time we talked, you had gotten excited, read ahead, everything fell apart. You told me. Then I went in and read the stuff. And, and it I was all apart for you. It not nearly as much. I mean, sixty-one and sixty-two feel like fill-in issues, you know, and they're the last John Basima issues. Um, but but of course, because I love Black Panther and I love Jungle Action, issue sixty-two is a real eye-opener for me because um, Don McGregor's Jungle Action, the first couple of issues, are drawn by Rich Buckler, and Buckler is dr- very much drawing. This always confused me. He's drawing a John Basima Black Panther or rather a Basima Black Panther, then he's actually drawing a Kirby Black Panther. So part of me was like, oh, that's fine. But the colon stuff, terrible, huge fail. I, but how, then, you get to, 
Then yes. you get the, uh, the Barry Smith stuff, which I think is terrible. See, you like I it, adore you? it. I adore oh, it. I, I don't oh, know I, how I, you can oh. be like, it's rough around the corners, sure, but it it's, is. It's rough around everything. It's, it's fucking, he's like trying to simultaneously channel Jack Kirby and Jim Steranko at the same time. And it is fucking awesome. It looks Fantastic. I'm sorry. I cannot have, you cannot have Barry Smith drawing Kirby and Steranko and you have the origin of adamantium again and not have me love that. You know, I mean, there, I totally there's, there's get so much. There's so much about the issue that I think is fascinating. His first issue, which is what, 66? Mm-hmm. Uh, and part of it is Smith is clearly at this point lets people I can call it indebted to Kirby and Serenko. Yes. Uh, as opposed to like the, the Barry Smith that he becomes. Yes. Um but it's just oh oh there's there's oh there's stuff that just doesn't work. And he's really trying, bless him, the whole did you ever walk through something that isn't big? Yes. Isn't just that amazing? So, so spectacularly like it it's weirdly like crystallizes the you know, the acid trip that was Marvel at the time. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Um, yeah, and then you know, a couple of pages later, you get the the they're all sitting around the the living room. Yes, and get the into the inset panels for all their pages for their yes. dialogue. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And it you know it's interesting, but here's the thing: it's also just ugly as sin to me. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you're. I, totally I think right. it, I think it's really interesting. I appreciate what he's doing, but I don't like what he's doing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I totally get that. But I'm sort of like, eh. and also the thing it's it's for me it's worth remembering because I was like, I don't know. Even though it's been an entire year uh, since the last appearance of Ultron, it feels like it's way too soon because there's oh, been yeah, well, so many fill-in issues. Yeah, and part of it also is that we're reading it. But you're, there is a sense of, holy shit, Ultron again? Yeah. Which, yeah. which later on, we'll come back when we get to the Engelhart issues, and you'll be like, Kang? Seriously? Didn't we just do a Kang story? Right. Which he which he takes in a direction that is just like, oh, I'll show you. But, exactly. Um, yeah. You've seen too much Kang now? Oh, man. But here, here's the thing that's fascinating about your, your Barry Windsor Smith, though. Or Barry mm-hmm. Smith at this point, because he's not Windsor yet. Yes. Um, By the next issue, by 67... The Serenko is almost completely gone. Yeah, and he goes and he doubles down on the Kirby uh, to yeah. try to keep using and, and it. it. And it's weirdly, like, the drawing becomes much worse. Yes. Like, 7 is a far uglier issue, and I think 66 is pretty ugly. But 67, there are, there are panels that are just fucking horrendous. Yes, there are panels and that are yeah, terrible. It's, too. It's, it's actually great because I actually uh, – I read issue 67, and my notes are – 67 is Barry Smith channeling Rob Liefeld before Rob Liefeld is probably <laughs> even literally born. Like, be- because it is, it is just, it's so ugly, it's awkward, the anatomy falls apart, the figures aren't together, like, Smith is clearly, like, rushing to, to hit a deadline that he's not going to yeah. hit. And it, it yet. It's too flush in a way that the previous issue didn't. And, and also, you can totally see when he doesn't have Kirby, uh, reference yeah there's a part where you see uh the shield i think dude you're gonna yes you're going to talk uh, this is the thing man yes and, and who is it is it gabe is it gabe jones no oh I, oh I, you're thinking of something different okay yeah mm-hmm, what are you mm-hmm. what are you thinking of they're, i they're, like right, it's okay. such a non-kirby face right that's so flat and 
kind of terrible. Compared yeah, there, to, well, there's just some terrible just faces terrible. there. That that face. What were you going to say, about Shields? What were you going to say? I Shields? am going to say that the thing that is amazing about this issue that I cannot believe that you, you Graham McMillan would poo-poo and overlook is the first appearance of one of pop culture's greatest characters on page 17, panel four. <laughs> Do you have it open? <laughs> no, no. I'm opening it. You have to get it open. I don't. I will spoil it for four. you. Barry Smith uh, creates Cobra Commander. That is Cobra <laughs> Commander on panel four, page seventeen. That is one hundred percent Cobra Commander's style. Oh, I found a panel God. where he's making that exact same fucking pose. Like it. it well, it's that's because GI Joe was drawn by Herb Trimpey, who, let's face it, is channeling Barry Smith channeling future Rob Liefeld. It's true. There, there is, there is a, in fact, there is a, issue 66 looks like a supercharged uh, um, uh, Herb Trimpey to me. But yeah, no, he clearly, I mean, that is fucking Cobra Commander. That is where that, that figure designs is from. So. There is. Yeah, I, I'm just going to say that the Smith issues just it very much did not work for me. And it, so you've got that, you've got Smith's art, which do not work for me. You've got the return of Ultron, which, like you said, feels far too soon. It's coming yeah. right in the heels of Hawkeye being turned into Goli- uh, Goliath. Yeah, it really felt like the like everything had come into focus with the earlier issues. Yes, and everything just slips out of focus. It's not that it's terrible. It's not that you know it's become a bad comic, right. but everything was completely crystal clear and. Thomas and Busimar were completely in sync. Yes. And then almost immediately afterwards, everything slips out of focus. See, this is my thing, Graham, because I, on the one hand, how do I put it? Uh, to me, it's just the difference between you get with Basima, like I, I mentioned it before, but let me mention again, for people who are really interested in sort of comic book storytelling, going back and looking through some of the weird depth perception stuff that, that, John Basima does that I is he's really working his ass off to to tell a story. So to me, it's like the difference between like great Marvel comics and but this is it to me. This stuff is so much closer to what I grew up on. Sadly, is the Sal Basima <laughs> continuity heavy. Wait, wait, wait. But here's the thing. Sal Basima then comes in and they think it gets better again. Oh, no. And, and that's it. Exactly. we talking about the Colin mm-hmm. and Smith issues. Oh, that, I see. Oh, see, I thought you were going to going to continue to tar, tar. Uh, no, 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 Sal no. I'm Basima talking, stuff. I'm talking specifically talking about like the six issues where it's. Uh, okay. And then okay. it's, uh, sorry, it's Colin, then it's Smith. Yeah. Um, because it's just, I don't know if it was filling and Thomas didn't have a direction for the book or whatever. It really, for me, lends reasons to a theory that I'd never really given much thought to before, that which is Basima was driving a lot of the Avengers writing mm-hmm. just by the fact that he was having to lay out the stories in terms of, you know, in, in Marvel style. Yes. Because Basima's gone and all of a sudden like everything just goes to shit. Yes. Yeah, I agree. And what's fascinating is when Sal Basima comes into it, and even when John Basima comes back, although we'll see where that goes. The thing that's interesting to me is Sal Basima is is no John Basima, but in no. in some ways is it it really does up the quality. Things start to get better again. And, yep. and again, for me, 
issues 69 through 71 are so much of what I love about Marvel comics that it, it would be impossible. This is where I figured we would spend a lot of time arguing because. Oh, no, no, no. 69. By the time you've got uh, Salbaseem on it, Mm -hmm. it, it's, it's, it's getting back up there. Right. Uh, um, He comes back for the last part of the Ultron thing, which is kind of, again, is, is, is pretty much a wet turd of an ending. Um, but but then when you move on to the <laughs> Grandmaster stuff. Ultron with his full human body and skinniest legs that any robot's ever had. Oh, he's got those amazing, like, they redid him with those, like, skinny legs and arm thing, and it's just... Yeah, and it's kind of hilarious. It's like, yeah. that's not scary at all. <laughs> yes, although... It's meant to be, but it's not scary at all. But the but the but don't you feel like it's one of those, like, design concepts that makes sense? Like was supposed to make sense when you think about it, but it doesn't work. Because unless yeah, I'm mistaken... No, no, totally. I, I yeah. can imagine that, like one drawing looking really impressive. Yes. And as soon as you're like, okay, and now we basically have to make the character act, you're like, oh, crap. Right, exactly. Well, and to me, there, there is the thing of, I, I always assumed, is because they have Ultron, his head looks so much like a horse's skull that they went and gave him sort of horse arms and legs and it, and that's where things totally fall apart is they give them those weird sort of ultra bifurcated ten- tendon things and it's just like no that may be how a horse's legs work but it's never going to be interesting you know i mean they don't bend at the wrong angle but it's definitely the way that it's set up goofy 68 through 71 though uh 69 which is the f- first appearance of the grandmaster um I also First of the Squadron Sinister. Uh right, who come in in 70 and then I have to talk about issue 71 because uh, because there's another fun fact about that issue that I don't know if you know about. But 69 is great because it's got the growing man who is a terrible villain with a terrible power and is Stop hilarious. The man. I, I love that. I, I also, again, let's talk about the fact that um, poor Wasp just gets completely shot on in this story because she oh, sees yeah. the growing man glowing. And she's yeah. like, what is this? This is kind of weird. And then Sosk like, and Hagbib just gives her shit. Yeah, he totally is. He's like, is. Don't, don't you feel like an idiot now? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. One of the things that's awesome, though, is that, I don't know if you noticed this, but sort of the same way that Cobra Commander appears in issue 67 of the Avengers, if you look closely at um, the the face of uh, the growing man, it's it actually is the face of um the troll cartoons you know troll face <laughs> like look at the panels it's exactly oh 100% oh jeff you're you're i didn't realize avengers was so responsible it is so yeah. much so much of, so much of, of everything also can we talk about the fact that uh this is the era of marvel where everything is super connected so you get them walking in on Tony Stark, who's dying, yes. in in the Iron Man book. And mm-hmm. there's no real context given. And then he appears later. And it's basically like, so hopefully you're reading Iron Man because he got better. Yes. Yeah. No, there is. And, and the same happens with Cap coming in and out. Mm-hmm. It's super connected with what's going on in their own solo books. Yeah. And you're just not given any context. It really is like, if you guys aren't reading other books, well, tough shit. Yeah, you're missing out. And well, at least it says to pick up the other books so that you know it, but it is kind of funny. It's, it's fascinating the extent, kind of like with the Doc Strange one. It feels like 
it feels like a fill-in issue, but just like the Avengers X-Men thing, it's uh, back in 52 or 53, it is actually the conclusion of a two-part story that opens in that other book. So yeah. they're crossing over between titles, and w- because we're not reading them, it you know, what's interesting to me is for the most part, I feel like the stories hold up as well as they do. Um, uh, I do have to say, as much as I love Sal Basima, there's that two-page spread of when when the Avengers come into what? Kang's Thanks. palace. Yeah. And it, it's weirdly underwhelming. <laughs> so underwhelming. It's chintzy. You mentioned Star Trek. That seemed like a bad Star Trek set, actually. It really it really does. I, I love do love Kang's uh, sense of foam decoration though. Yeah. <laughs> uh, listen, listeners, what you what you're not seeing in this double page thread is that Kang is on a floating disc. Uh, he's sitting on a throne in the floating disc. Mm-hmm. To his immediate right is what looks like a glowing ball with three shelves coming out of it. Yeah. And on either side of his uh, his throne are massive flame pits. Yeah, flaming braziers. He has some sort of evil owl thing hovering over his head for no real reason. No, and... that's, the top of, that's the top of his throne, Jeff. Yeah, that's the top of his throne. But why does it need to be an evil owl? You know what I mean? Why, like, why not? Yes, exactly. And that's how most of this works. Apart from the fact that, I mean, it's just amazing in its underwhelmingness. It really is one of those designs. <laughs> it's such a, it is a hilariously terrible, impressive throne room. Isn't yeah, it? It's like, it really is. Look, Avengers, I'm in a big empty room with a chair. <laughs> well, you know, in a way it would work. I, I, I actually. My, I, my, my dead girlfriend in a bottle in the back of it. Totally true. That's how, that's his chill space. I mean, it is just unbelievably, it is god awful. It's like, poor fucking Kang has been, com- like, his future is so war torn that their idea of luxury is like setting up a throne room in an IKEA cafeteria. It is like so sad. Uh, but the Grandmaster is one of my favorite characters of all time. So I, I love these three issues. You know, it's, it's really Roy to me. It's Roy Thomas, sort of fully becoming Roy Thomas. I feel like. Oh God! You know? It it is the the most comic nerdiest three parter. Yes. Absolutely. You know, it's like okay, another fighting the Justice League. Yes. Another fighting the Invaders. Except yep. they're not the Invaders yet. But you know, do you know what I mean? It really is super, super fucking nerdy. Okay, so Graham, I'm hoping that you know this, but if you don't, I also hope that you don't, because it will blow your mind. So. You and listeners, get ready, and I apologize if you already know it. I'll try and get to it quick. So, yes, fighting fighting the Grandmaster and Kang, Kang chooses the Avengers. Grandmaster chooses the Squadron Sinister, which are the JLA analogs. When their fight is interrupted, there's a tiebreaker where the Avengers are thrown back in time, and they encounter uh, Captain America, the original Human Torch, and Submariner in... 1941 is which is what the black panther says and they end up fighting one another as sort of this tiebreaker conflict do you the thing that is amazing if you have graham having read this if you go to the marvel unlimited app you should pick up the invaders annual number one which i don't know if you've read oh no don't tell me roy thomas presents like the other side of that fight he does and the thing that's great is because Roy Thomas is Roy Thomas, as you note, Captain America is using the wrong shield and Submariner is using his old underpants. 
So the Invaders Annual Number One, which is great, <laughs> exists to explain that. Yes, why? <laughs> why Captain America oh. has the shield? In fact, the um, the Black Panther says, like, "Oh, Cap's using his pointy shield. It's got to be 1941." In fact, it's 1942 when the Invaders have formed. But because the entire annual is them fighting three different supervillains, the hyena. Um, the shark and Agent Axes, all of whom are stealing a different aspect from the invaders to create a perfect Nazi, you know, uh, super warrior. So they take stolen. Wait, are you telling me someone stolen Submariner's trunks? Yes, because his trunks. <laughs> be, because because they now they knock the him out. They change his pants. It's the best. It's the best. Yeah, they're like. Because his trunks so clearly are able to withstand all the pressure changes and are the strongest material known to man, they're going to take it back to Hitler so that they can make, um, like, you know, a perfect, like, Very fighting outfork. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. This like, the Nazi short shorts will be able to resist any sort of, you know, water pressure change. And it's, it's a great issue because he, Thomas... To double down on his – why do I keep saying double down? I clearly have got to go to KFC after I get off this podcast. I, yeah, it's, I think you're doubling down in that phrase. I, I, I've tripled down, not quadrupled down <laughs> on that phrase by now. Thomas actually sets up Invaders Annual Number 1 like a classic annual – uh, like uh, an all-star annual from like the 1940s where the heroes split up. The separate chapters are drawn by separate artists. And what's great is the text page in Invaders Annual talks about how Thomas wanted to get guys from the era drawing the book. So Frank Robbins is drawing the the intro and outro parts, but the individual chapters like – Kirby was supposed to draw the Captain America one. And Thomas says in his text page, he had Kirby that Kirby was was going to do it until he got pulled to do uh, a project, which I think was the silver surfer book that he and Stan Lee did. But then of course, you know, he ends up wanting to get Carl Burgos to draw the human torch issue and tor he's down with it, but he, you know, basically. So they talk about how the, he assembles each of the characters. So, not only it, and then all of it is to explain how those characters are in place, so that when they encounter the Avengers, um, so it's it's a it's simultaneously a sequel prequel done in 1977, eight years after. It's actually a really fun read, and it's interesting seeing how much of the original dialogue uh, Thomas keeps. And how he has to change it in a few places. So, like, for example, in this issue of the Avengers in issue 71, you may notice, like, Cap says something like, oh, if only I had a disc-shaped shield. And there's even an editor's note, like, but he'll get one, true believers. In the Invaders Annual one, he changes that dialogue to, if only I had my, my disc-shaped disc, shield. Yeah. Also, it's interesting, he cuts the one potentially racist thing that Cap ends up saying from issue 71 when he rewrites the dialogue of their confrontation. Um, but he also, he also trims bits and pieces of it all the way around. So, I mean, I, I again, who knows how racist he actually meant it to be. Um, oh God, what was the phrase that he cut? Um, uh, oh, 
I should have tossed it at you and saved Dreen my hands, which I think he meant because he's a Nazi, but afterwards has that weird kind of... Anyway, Thomas just kind of clips that. He clips some of Submariner's dialogue. But otherwise, he keeps it, and it kind of works. Honestly, Graham, if you get a chance before the end of the month, check out that issue. It's it's actually also kind of a great read. It's a great supplement to, to issue 71. Um, also, can we talk about the end of issue 71 for a second? Uh, yes, by all which means. Is Kang, which is Kang's choice. Yes, so that's Kang, great. Kang is betting against the, uh, the Grandmaster mm-hmm. for the gift of life or death, and he chooses life because yeah. he wants spring. Uh, is it Ravona? Is that her name? Uh, Ravona or Ramona or, uh, Ra- uh Ravona. Princess yeah, Ravona. Ravona. Princess Ravona, yeah. Uh, he wants to bring her back to life as his dead beloved. Yes. And then the Avengers come in and the Avengers literally go, listen, why don't you just send us home and we'll say no more about it. And he goes, fuck Ravona, I'm gonna kill them. Yes, I choose God death. Is, God is such a fucking thing. I, I do love that. The Avengers that, literally come in and they're mm-hmm. like, okay, just send us home. And he's like, no, I'll kill you. Yeah. Fuck yeah. you. It's, I do love that he, his, uh, explanation of the choice is, I am smart enough, I'll save her life myself. Yes. Like, I, I do genuinely like that. But I also can't get over the fact that the Avengers come in and instead of saying, you're a bad guy, we'll have to stop you, they say, well, just send us home. Right. And he's like, no, I will not send you home. I yeah. will, in fact, try and kill you and leave my beloved dead yeah i i sort of love that choice i sort of feel that the whole like the denouement of that where the black knight wins by virtue of not being avenger like yet again i'm like ah that's another you know i mean it's been a long time since thomas broke that out but i'm like ah, they're bringing it out again that's kind of a bummer yeah but but then he brings it out like the next issue yeah exactly just exactly he does exactly the same gimmick the Mm -hmm. next issue Mm -hmm. uh with Rick, Rick saving the team because he's not an Avenger, and the guy forgot uh, Scorpio forgot about him. Yeah, right. it's interesting to see two issues net back to back. He does exactly the same shtick. Yes, I have to say again the uh, the what you know the God, what is the title of it? Because it's again, it's that really goofy. Did you hear the one about Scorpio? Yes. Did you hear the one about Scorpio? Is a hilarious title. I had read Nick Fury, Agent of Shield. Uh, agent issue 15 where Nick Fury gets assassinated and it never seemed to get followed up. Like the next time I saw him, he was just alive again. Like nobody ever mentioned it. So I had no idea the story ever got wrapped up. So it was kind of interesting for me to see one of these classic, something that Marvel did a lot, which is like, Oh, the last issue got canceled. We're going to pick it up in another book. Yeah, exactly. So I kind of appreciate that, and I sort of appreciate the first appearance of the Zodiac, who I have a fondness for. Um, and uh, But, oh, my God, like, Captain America and Rick Jones, and I hope this doesn't sound homophobic at all, because I don't intend to Oh, my God. It, they, their relationship Jeff. only makes sense if they are lovers. It's and it, it's, That's nowhere near it. I didn't know what I thought you were going to say, but just when you say, I don't want this to sound homophobic, I'm just like, oh shit, something is going to come out that's going to be terrible, terrible, terrible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That wasn't appalling at all. You're right. Uh, The the, the homoerotic overtones of Cap and Rick in this issue in particular 
are astounding. But can yeah. we also talk about uh, Dum Dum Dugan's soul tear when he tells the Avengers that uh, Nick Fury's dead? Oh, <laughs> please! I totally forgot about that. Nick, Nick Fury uh, announces to the Avengers that Nick, uh, sorry, Dum Dum Dugan announces, uh, announces to the Avengers that Nick Fury is dead, and the panel that he does this is a really tight close-up on his face where you can only see one eye, a nose, and a mouth. Yeah. And it's everything's coloured red apart from the eye and the soul tear that is coming from the eye. I love it. It is so great. It is so amazingly overblown. Yeah, it it, it is. It's just like they really decided to try and oversell that moment and and it so is kind of like, huh? Like it really does just go like so over the top. I should mention... Also, the explanation of where Nick Fury was when he got killed. Oh, I love that! He was just watching a concert in the park, and then he got assassinated. See, I read that issue, so I remembered it. And I do love the fact that Nick Fury is kind of like, yeah, it would have worked if it wasn't for the fact that I didn't want to go to that concert. Or whatever his excuse is, like, he literally was the, like, um... They they were like... they They did say... By dumb luck, I pulled the switch on my date while she was digging the rock festival. So clearly, Nick Fury is such a dick that he's like halfway through... I mean, again, it's so Venture Brothers. Halfway through the rock festival, he would just rather replace himself with a life model decoy than not (laughs) put up with the horrific music anymore. I love that so much. Because, of course, if you read that issue, which sadly they don't have on the Marvel Unlimited, you know... um, That Nick Fury run is such a mess because you start off with Steranko and then he leaves relatively early and then you have all these people doing a horrible job trying to pretend that they're Steranko for like 12 12 issues. And so by the time you get to that that, issue... That sounds fascinating to me. I I can only imagine seeing... Because let's face it, it's the journeyman who will be given that book. It's not going to be the the rising stars of Marvel who will be given that book. I want to see like the, the people who are not on in any way interested in what Steranko was doing, having to try and do a Steranko in that book. Yeah. That would be amazing. Let's just say, I think that issue 15 might be written by Mike Friedrich and drawn by Herb Trimpey. So, Oh, see? that's mm-hmm. that, Especially Friedrich in that, of that era. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's yeah, around yeah. the time he was doing the classic Justice League stuff as well. That's what I'm saying. Harley it's very Quinn much... Ellis. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. So that's one of the things that's absolutely brilliant about it, as I recall, is he really is like he's taking that the thing, the the idea that that Nick Fury ducks out and leaves a life model decoy in his wake is great because it really is the last two pages are such a peace and love, universal understanding, like, you know, it's like that scene, that classic Steranko scene with them listening to the music and holding up the flower, but like times a thousand, but done by non-Steranko people. And so it's, so... I they right got it too. Yes. <laughs> it's so great. It's so it really great. is so just, funny. yeah, just the classic, like Roy Thomas being like, nah, that never happened. I'm pretty much shitting on that one. <laughs> Right out. Uh, t- talking about grades, so that that story is immediately followed by another Sons of the Serpent two-parter. Oh, yeah. I love the Sons of the Serpent. I oh, my God. I do. I think really? the Sons of the Serpent are such a great Marvel concept. I I love the idea that they're like, okay, so it's the Ku Klux Klan, but there's a snake thing going yeah. on. Yeah, there's a no, snake but thing. That, but, that, that, but, you know, really, it's just the Ku Klux Klan. 
Right. Which I which I love, and I love this two parter in particular for its utterly nonsensical denouement. Mm-hmm. Oh God, yes. Yeah, see, I actually had a lot of problems with... Oh, I do have to say that I love the cover of issue 74 of the Avengers, like, more than anything, because it has the guy on the phone who's yelling, Help, help, police, police! No, never mind, it's too late. And I love that. I just adore also it's like something that death is the hunter i mean that's the classic yeah that's wonderful yeah. wonderful yeah e- everything about it um no the whole idea and i saw it coming from a mile away i was well actually i can't say that the i was sure that they were going to have it because they so had the like oh here's the bigot talk show host and here's the fiery african-american activist i'm like okay they're gonna make the fiery african-american american yeah yeah he's, he's that guy yeah yeah oh yeah you see that you see that coming from miles away and that's why it's utterly nonsense because it turns out to be both of them yes who's doing it for some reason <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Because they're like, yes, we just want power. And you're like, wait, so how does this give you power? I actually don't understand this. How does inciting a race war in America give you power? Give give you guys, well, you know. Like, one of them will get power? (laughs) No. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's it's astounding. (laughs) But there's so much. It's so great in a uh, shitty point of view if that makes sense oh see i think that's because the thing you, that bothers you've, me. Yeah. you've you've got uh the black panther who's like these guys are racists but because i'm black i want to take them down alone and all the other avengers are like okay we'll give you 24 hours and then they don't keep tabs on him at all they're just like well we hope he doesn't get killed yeah boy it's kind of a shame that we sent him into near impossible odds well i do have to say the the that's another thing that Thomas plays as a trope really heavily throughout by this time is the number of oh, times this, in this which... This is mine. This yes. is my battle. This is my stand battle. Aside. Mm-hmm. Okay, we'll all stand aside. Yeah, he does that a lot. Yeah, it happens all the time because he's always kind of like, well, let's face it, you know. It's like there's... The, although their costumes are great, there's really not so much that you can ha- a bunch of racists can do against, you know... <laughs> Are are their costumes great? Jeff, look at their helmets. I oh, mean, yeah. Their, their I, helmets I know. are the most hilariously impractical things ever. And, let's be perfectly honest, do look like they have penises coming out of their helmets. Oh, yes, yes, okay, admittedly, our definitions of great. I mean, you've nailed everything I think at, are great about at, them, yeah. Yes, look at the helmets. It's, it would be great to think that they were purposefully designed that way as yeah. a meta-commentary on <laughs> racist being dickheads, but they weren't. <laughs> <laughs> I really hope that someone would bring them. I mean, they were just uh, Daredevil. They they should they should be brought back again. First of mm-hmm. all, Sun mm-hmm. Serpent should always come back. Yeah. Uh, in fact, Al Ewing, if you're listening to this, please bring the Sons of Serpent back for Mighty Avengers. Oh, that, would, that be great. would be fucking great. That that and w- give and give them the dickhead helmets. Give them the dickhead helmets, and then put in all the dickhead internet comments that people who didn't want to buy Mighty Avengers because the team was, you know, too black. Uh, into into their mouths, and you've you've got a storyline right there, Jeff, Jeff. I know that you don't buy Marvel books, but have mm-hmm. you even seen the solicit for the the Mighty Avengers tie-in issues for Original Sin? Yes, and it looked fucking it's, awesome. It, I was going to say it's got to be killing you, right? Yeah, it is. It, it, it really, really is. does seem like mm-hmm. your ideal comic ever. Yeah, yeah, it totally was. I was like, ah, what? Ah, shit. 
yeah, listeners, that's kind of for, for those who haven't seen this list, it's uh, essentially Avengers 1972 mm-hmm. with Blade and the Blue Marvel and Luke Cage's dad and two other characters who I can't even remember basically teaming up for a what looks like a sort of black exploitation thriller. Yeah, it looks great. It looks so good. I'm I I am really kind of frustrated. Um, I should mention one of the things that I should mention at the the other thing that's amazing at the end of uh this Sons of the Serpent storyline. Also, as a jungle action, I had no idea that Monica Lynn was a character that existed before Don McGregor's run. She sort of seemed like she existed for a reason, but I had no idea. And the, so seeing the first appearance of her here. Because that's like one of my all-time favorite storylines. I'm like, oh my god, this is her first appearance. Oh my god, like things. And she, that she's so know. different. Like she comes out and she's like, I've got a cause and it's myself. Yeah, I've got a cause in myself. And but yeah, exactly. And then even after she changes into this radical activist, she's still like, by the time that she's drawn in Jungle Action, like her hair is not being straightened. It's just she's very much. You know, they try and make her very much her own character and also make her sort of a. I don't know how to say it, like more of a black woman of her times, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Um, I, but- I really want to draw your attention. And if anyone is listening along and has been reading all these issues, I hope you've all noticed this as well. I want to draw your attention to the uh, second panel of page 15 in uh, Avengers 73, which is the wasp looking over her shoulder. Uh, Sal Buscema loved to basically redraw the panel from the first Yellow Jacket issue, mm, mm-hmm. right, by John, by his brother John, mm-hmm. which is essentially that shot. Mm-hmm. In in the original, it's Janet going, "I'm going to marry him." Yes, and Sal Buscema redraws it like three or four times in his in his. That's issues. that's so po- that is so true. Yeah, and what is clear is is it's such a John Buscema shot because John Buscema loves nothing more in those Avengers issues than making people look over their shoulder. Yes. Yeah, all the time, mm-hmm. whenever humanly possible, John Buscema will have a shot where someone is looking behind them over their shoulder. Yes, well, and there... so it really, really stands out when you see Sal Buscema just rip it off repeatedly. First of all, because he's ripping off literally the same drawing all the time. Yes. Secondly, his characters just don't move like that. Yeah, his characters don't move like that. So when it pops up, it's you're right, it's super noticeable. What's the? There's an issue. Is it? Oh, it is. It's the. It is issue seventy three. Also has, um, I want to draw your attention, Graham, to page nine, which has a booty shot of Goliath for like no reason. Like he's standing outside of the panels with his back yes, turned yes. to us. <laughs> yes, I love that. <laughs> love, love that so much. That, it's that is so, the best. So great. Although I do want to, uh, oh, actually I want to point it out. The thing that's, we, okay, here's something that's going to blow your mind. Issue seventy three is not is neither Basima, it's it's, it's Frank not? Giacoa. Frank Giacoa is, is listed Holy as the shit. artist. So it is. Yeah, yeah, what? yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, in it, that case, he is ripping off uh, John Basima. Sal Basima definitely does as well because it shows some different issues. Yes, but uh, and he obviously clearly loves uh, mm-hmm. Goliath's butt. Yes, and Goliath won. For uh, yes. all you official handbook. Exactly, exactly. Not yeah, Clint for Barton. all those people, uh, exactly. Pym. He's very much in love with Hank Pym's butt. Um, and I do love, again, as a jungle action fan, they, they 
because they had to fill up the issue, the issues six and seven, because uh, the first couple of issues where Don McGregor takes over, he doesn't want to rerun the racist reprint stories of like, you know, Jungle Guy Smith from the 50s. So they jam so much extra work art in there. It's like maps of the Wakandan palace and just anything they can get. And there's a page in there that is literally the page here by Frank Giacoa. That's just um, the Black Panther creeping through the, the buildings and then it's a mostly wordless page except for the caption at the top where he creeps up and he, he punches one of the sons of the serpent. It's again, it's Steranko esque. It's not really done especially well, but it's one of those panels that stick like is so formative in my brain, you know, you're like, holy shit. Yeah. Seeing it in its original context, 39 years after seeing it in the back of one of those issues is a, brain breaker for me just absolutely a brain breaker um i did want to point out avengers 74 for those keeping track at home the circulation statement says that the avengers were selling an average of 240,000 copies a month that's selling well, that's that's it, not printing it's, it's good shit yeah yeah, I, 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 you know, it's kind of, it's one of those things where people like, of course, when everyone complains about the, oh yeah, so and so, like for but, numbers but here, we were canceled for. No At that time, there. Marvel was sending out a telegram telling retailers there's an order enough. <laughs> and so the comedy worth, pyramid is complete, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> worth pointing out that um, John Basima is back with this issue. Yes, with seventy four, and then. He does an amazingly uninspired job, I thought, with issues 75 and 76, which seem like they're crafted to be like John Basima dream store, you know, like the things that he would totally want to draw. Yeah, exactly. You think that Archon would be very, very much like in his sweet spot. Yes. And they're they're very dull. But 74 is kind of dull as well, interestingly enough. Yeah. He's he's a different artist already. Yes. Yeah, he comes um, in, back in and many just ways. Have not that only verve. not only has his uh, uh, have his layouts changed, but mm-hmm. his faces have changed as well. His yes. actual like the way he draws people has yeah. changed. Yeah, uh, really interestingly. Although I do love the line that Roy Thomas works in uh, to explain the fact that Hawkeye all of a sudden has become incredibly muscular since becoming Goliath. Oh yes, in seventy four, where he's like, "Yeah, I've been really working out since I started wearing this costume." <laughs> it's like you've realized that all everyone was drawing him completely differently from the way they were drawing him before. That's good to see. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, no, I really, I have to say, there is another thing. Like one of the, we talked about how. Like, Sal Pasima does not get enough credit. Like, going back and re-looking through those issues, he's really good at pacing his stories. Like, he uses a lot of, like... It's amazing how much he tells the stories using combinations of three-panel, four-panel, and five-panel pages, you know? And uses those over and over again, and it really works. And it's fascinating because... When Basima leaves the Avengers for the first time, he's pretty much broken it down to telling stories in four-page, uh, four-panel grids. And when he comes back, he's pretty much back in a five- or six-panel grid situation. And so it feels more professional, but it also feels so much less... I don't know. It's tough to say. It, it'll be interesting to see where these issues go, but I was shocked by... As ha- as, you know, 
to see Basima come back for 74 through 76. And he's just kind of, he's not the, he's not the same artist. Some might say that he's grown, but it really just feels like he's become more professional in a very depressing sense of the term. You know? Yeah. I, I love his, I love the quote unquote new Basima uh, faces. I think he's become a much better, his, his line work has become a lot better. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he, his characters have become more individual. Yeah. But his his layout his 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 suffered, I guess. Yeah, he, he's he's de- he's definitely not as dynamic in terms of of the way he laid out the pages. I'm actually really curious as to whether how to draw comics the Marvel way had come out by this point. Uh, is 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 this the era of how to draw comics the Marvel way? Oh no no no! Uh, how to draw comics the Marvel way? Unless there was an earlier version that I missed, it comes out in like seventy seven or seventy eight. Oh really? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, we should jump online and double check that, but I, I'm pretty yeah, sure. Yeah, because I, 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 no, actually, this is 1970, so yeah. Wait, yeah, that's exactly. That's way too early. Yeah, yeah, way yeah. Way too early for that. How, how to Draw uh, comics, Mar- comics the Marvel Way, I think, sort of follows in the success of Origin of Marvel Comics and Son of Origins and et cetera, et cetera. So, um, but no, well, they're, they're, it's, it's a fascinating 25 issues. I mean, considering it's a two year span. Yeah. Yeah. They're it's, so, it's, it's crazily, Variable, mm-hmm. but also crazily packed with stuff. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, and and I think if we hadn't read the first fifty issues to get to this point, in a way, I would have been so much more up on it because it really is the feeling of, you know, like Thomas finally gets his shit together, and there's some amazing stuff. But by the time he gets to issue seventy five, you realize he's been writing this book for like. 50 issues or so, you know, is that, yeah. when does he come in? Does he come in at 26 he, or 28? He comes or? in like, yeah, but definitely before 30. Mm-hmm. Before 30. So he's, he's been on the book for a really considerable period of time by this point. Um, and it sort of feels like, you know, he's, I don't, I don't want to say he's, he's, he, you know, he's simultaneously becoming himself the, the, the Roy Thomas that we recognize, um, and simultaneously like always running in, in the danger of, of going into a rut. You know, he really does strike me as a guy who like is inspired by like maybe because of the Marvel method, the, the symbiosis of what the artists give him so affects the quality of the stories yeah. that he puts yeah. out. Very so. much. Yep. So what we're saying, people, is uh, you should be reading all these Avengers comics because there's some gems and also some incredible turds. Yeah, but the turds are, some of them are so fucking entertaining. Oh my god. Yeah, exactly. Some of them are gems in their own way. Yeah. If, first of all, we finally <laughs> talked about the Avengers at length, which was has been our plan for like three months now. Yes. Uh, secondly, we've been talking for two and a half hours. Yes. We, and we've we, not even talked about the Veronica Mars movie. Oh shit! You're right. Oh, oh did my you God. see it? I did see it. I did see it. Um, yeah. I I think I'm going to go on a limb and say that I I'm starting to think that maybe Rob Thomas is the Roy Thomas of television. I think. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Oh, segue, Jeff. I know. It's it's. I had this. I have had many uh, conversations about the Veronica Mars movie uh, mm-hmm. with people that has basically consisted of me of me going, "It's not very good, is it?" And them going, "You don't get it. It's exactly what I want." 
to the name of fun. Really? As if that was offensive against, yes. I've had many conversations like that. Interesting. Interesting. Well, so, uh, and I, yeah. I, and for me, like, I thought it was, I thought it was, I thought it was fine. I thought it was the most television pilot-esque film I've ever seen in oh my, my life. God. I have to say, one of the things that's amazing, because this is something that we've talked about from time to time, but remember how back in the 70s, there were actual TV pilots that got released as movies, like uh, Battlestar Galactica? <laughs> did, did it feel like that, Jeff? It the, felt the, a the lot direct- like that. Yeah. It was crazy, wasn't it? The direction was appalling. My real problem with Veronica Mars movie is the writing, yes, which is just stunningly bad. Mm-hmm. Um, there are two major plots that not only don't get any resolution, but literally have no reason to be there. Yeah. Uh, you have the, you have the police corruption that ends up with Keaton Hospital, yes, that goes nowhere, yeah. literally nowhere, and you have Weevil getting shot by Celeste Kane, yes, which again goes nowhere and also has a massive jump in it where all of a sudden he's back with the gang yes because that ties in with the film's major theme which is everyone devolves to who they were 10 years ago right which is super problematic to me mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it's like hey you know growth fuck that shit let's get back to the status you guys want as cool it, oh it, it's it was fan service in the worst ways possible yes i okay so there's there's a number of things Okay, one of the things that I think is worth pointing out is is that I think that you're a much bigger Veronica Fart Mars fan than I am, um, and so we, you know, we watch Edie and I watched Veronica Mars pretty much all at a go relatively recently, three years back. I was not really, I, and for me it was kind of diminishing returns, sort of season by season. So the, oh yeah, definitely the, first season is by far the best. Exactly. So by the time you get to the third season, I kind of really had that moment of, I don't know why I would necessarily want to go back for a movie, but we, you know, it's like we saw the trailers and Edie was like, oh, I kind of want to see that. And it was that kind of miraculous because of our new setup. We had easy access to to rent it on, on ITV, Apple TV. And I'm like, let's do it. We do it. We watch it. So we're watching it in our home and um, I, I really was impressed at how much Rob Thomas, upon getting the budget to make a movie, as far as I can tell, went out to secure the rights for songs that he really wanted to have on his soundtrack. Like, <laughs> I was really surprised as well that there were, there were song songs. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was like, wait, you only got what? Two million, four million in, in funding? Yeah. And yet you went for song licensing. Yeah, like crazy amounts of song licensing. Like I was like, oh, that song is, that's a lovely song. I can see where you want to do that. But, you know, um, but. No, but also you didn't have more problems with the fact that there are uh, roughly 20 million too many characters in this film. Oh, yeah. No, 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 no. I actually was appalled. There's, okay, there's just, there's a ton of things how do I put it? Like, I I want to feel like people will look back at the Veronica Fart Mars movie. I don't know why I keep going with the screwing Veronica up. Fars. The, Veronica Mars. Veronica Mars Um Doing a John Travolta at the Oscars there. Uh, I, I don't under... I, I think people look back on it and be like, well, this was the beginning of a profound movement in terms of being able to crowdfund uh, smaller... 
projects that have a passionate fan base that people were eventually able to figure out how to do something other than um, pretty shitty fan service. But the Veronica Mars movie was like the fan service wanted me. A, I wanted to gouge my own eyes out. B, I spent a lot of time thinking about how much, like watching the Veronica Mars movie, I wanted to write the fan fiction about when Veronica Mars had her baby. Like, you know what I mean? That was the other thing. Like, all this stuff they're putting on screen, and over and over I keep thinking, wait a minute, did Kristen, what's her name, have a kid? Because she totally looks like she had a kid. She, she did have a kid. That Quite how you, you noticed that, I have, I have no idea. But yeah, she did actually have a kid. Yeah, she, oh, okay, that's good to know. She, I, it's it, Part of it was, I guess it was the way they dressed her. Like, they make a sort of offhand reference about her boobs changing. But there were a couple of scenes where I was like, oh, right, she, she like, she has childbearing hips now. She just, she walks like someone who gave birth. I don't know how to say it. It was just a weird kind of, she still, she had some of the baby fat weight on her, even though she doesn't, she's a mere slip of a girl. But the thing that I thought was amazing is the worst part of the fan service was that there were, there were too many characters. None of them went anywhere. Like I thought it was tragic to see a character like Mac that I have a lot of fondness for reduced to like she Qu- quippy sidekick. Uh, she, she wasn't at, yeah, at best. She was not, she was like a quippy celebrity cameo. I think James Franco had more lines in the Veronica Mars movie than Mac did, you know, but, but that the same. I I just yeah. The same is true of everyone. Yeah, there is no character work in that film whatsoever. Except None. right. Except for all the scenes with Logan, all of which are because it's been such a long time. Um, I felt like whatever weird quirky energy that the actor playing Logan had that he brought to the TV show was largely gone you know, by the time you see the movie. So, like, they have that scene where they, you know, they show him in his, like, Air Force outfit or whatever, and she's like, you should, that, you shouldn't change that look. And the hat looks weird on him. The yeah, outfoot looks it's, it's weird. It's very funny how, like, non-handsome he looked, I guess. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, he looked like he was playing dress-up, which was kind of hilarious. Yeah, in a suit, and, and it looked like they couldn't quite get the suit to fit right, and they were like, oh, don't worry, no one's going to notice. And to me, you totally notice, he looks like he's playing dress-up. But there's also just something about that character. On the one hand, it's sort of, like, there's none of that idea of, like, oh, Logan, he's like a wild card. Even with the huge scene where he freaks out and starts punching people in the bar, it's just kind of clearly, I don't know how to put it, like, that guy had no, I don't know, he just had, he, he just didn't really seem to have any charisma there. He just kind of seemed like a sad middle-aged guy. And, and, and... While it would have been... Middle-aged Jeff, he's going to be like 30 in the oldest. Well, it depends on what you call middle-aged now. I mean, is he 30? I thought he was like 35 or something. Because he is seemed he? kind of old in... Uh, I don't know. We'll have to we'll have to look. I mean, the show only, show only went up there like 
what, seven or eight years ago? Well, I mean, and that's the other thing. The time frame is a mess in this movie. The, t- the time's crazy. They're going to their 10-year high school reunion, even though, it's, by my reckoning, it's like seven years since they, they graduated. Right. And, and So that, it takes place in the future. Right. It takes place in the future, and then also, like, Veronica's been with Piz for, like, seven years, but never met his parents. Like, ever. Oh, yeah. And, all, and also, they break up over her, like, over this. Right. And they break up in that way. But... That's the thing. None of it makes sense. Right. I, I, I cannot believe the, even the idea of she has not seen Logan in this long, like in 10 years, according to the show. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yet she goes immediately when he needs her and they immediately fall back in love. Yeah. Like that, that is just, that is written to me by someone who has never been in a relationship. Yeah, it's you know, really it's weird. so alien. It's mm-hmm. so just, I, I, you know, it's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But, but again, it's servicing the fans. It's servicing the fans who, you know, that's their eternal love. Right. Do you know yes. what I mean? Like, it's so funny to me at the end of the movie when uh, he uh, Logan leaves for the the Air Force, maybe <laughs> can't even remember which one. Mm-hmm. Um. And he's like, it's only three months. Our love is epic. And all I could think was, there is nothing in this film that has proven that. Yeah, exactly. Like, you just keep telling me that, but I don't vaguely believe it. Well, you know, I seem to recall when they broke up and got back together again in, like, season two or something like that. That actually did have that feel of it, I suppose. But it's one of the things that is actually, to me, very strange in that... um it reminds me a lot of Buffy in that Veronica Mars is a character who somehow ends up being kind of hamstrung by the romantic fan service. And it's a shame because it's like the fans find that more interesting. To me, Veronica Mars as a character without any romantic interests is just as interesting, arguably more so. I mean, yeah, no, I, I completely agree. I thought this film did a terrible disservice to Veronica Mars in general. Yeah. Um, because it was so safe mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. It, it, it did everything it was supposed to. Mm-hmm. And the very concept of the series and of the character is that she doesn't. Yeah. Is that she does what's right. right. And this film was very much not doing what was right in the story sense at all. Yeah. It was doing what the fans wanted. Yeah, there, there was just, there was a number of things. It's really weird having the Schmidt cameo was weird. I don't know, there was, there was a... Schmidt cameo was weird now that you know him as another character, right? Yeah, exactly. I was just like, <laughs> oh my god. Cause I do remember him back as Leo. Was, but the Schmidt cam- car- cameo was weirder than the James Franco cameo. Yeah, it kind of was, actually. The James Franco cameo, at least that was, I don't know, sort of mostly, mostly amusing. I don't know, I, it was just, it was a, an extremely, like as a, as a it's funny it's kind of ironic that i still think of like big screen like movie movies that go into movie theaters are supposed to be bigger and better you know what i mean and i just really felt like not only was this not that i mean this felt like a pretty meh substandard reunion movie that yeah, you used to have ex- with like the love boat or matlock or whatever back exactly, in the eighties or something. Exactly. And, and in large part, because it was so concerned with resetting the status quo, resetting the status quo, but also, yeah, this like, well, we've got to get in, this could be another bite at the apple, 
you know, and the same way that they ha- would have the love boat reunions, and it kind of ends with that, like, well, who knows where we're setting sail to next? Woot, woot, you know, is that like Veronica Mars, like, look where she is, well, we could totally go right back to a TV series. That, just- that's why it felt like a TV pilot. Mm-hmm. It totally it totally felt like on next week, yep. Veronica is going to investigate, you know... A cheating husband. The one thing I was really hoping for midway through the movie and then realized that they did not have the balls to pull off Mm -hmm. was that Dick was the murderer. Oh, yeah. Right, right, right. Exactly. I was like, yeah, make make the guy who's been the the butt of the joke through the entire series the murderer. But then, of course, you can't. That's repeating the season two trick. Exactly. It's like we should put some heavy spoilers on that. But that that was almost – yeah, exactly. And, and, it, and it, it kind of felt like that. It sort of felt like you... It felt like they were really going there. Mm-hmm. Like they kind of were going to go there, but then they kind of didn't. And again, the big climax, the big action finale climax was everything that, that, that tends to frustrate me about Veronica Mars, uh, the show, which is that Veronica Mars is a badass until she confronts the the final villain and then, and then she'll run away and then she's the girl in danger and yeah. I, that really bothers me like the the fact that you've got a scene where she basically tailors the guy maces him and then runs away which doesn't make any sense exactly i was just like what were you guys doing with this you know and so it really did uh, to me that just really had this weird feel of um you know, I, I I think we had talked about the whole uh, my frustration with Joss Whedon when he initially got the Buffy comics and his whole idea of like, yeah, finally, I'm not tied down by any budget. You know, in a way, I almost appreciate that Rob Thomas kept that they made a movie that it was, you know, it was low budget and shot super on the fly. But it, in theory, it kept to some of the ideas of. The original show in terms of like, well, we're going to have the interplay. We're going to have Veronica solve a mystery. There's going to be an actual mystery with fakes and red herrings and everything. But at the same time, I mean, apart from I always hated that girl in danger thing. It frustrated me so much in, in the series. But it was just such a small scale. Like I, I was like, man, don't you have a cinematic bone in your body? Like it really did feel like. But, but he really doesn't. It was an incredibly TV-looking movie. Yeah. Yeah, which, you know, uh, which I get. You know, I, I'm oh, really... no, I, I, I could totally give him slack for that, because yeah. like I said, he didn't have that much money, and he did have 23 fucking days to shoot the film. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But even, even, even to change things up, even to make things look like, give it a grittier... Blo- like, because there's, you know, there's a scene where they get in Logan's car and they drive over a bridge and drive back. And again, it's one of those things where it's like Rob Thomas seemed to clear care so much more about the music montages that it's like, it's kind of like the lights are kind of blown out in sort of an orange and yellowy kind of way. And I'm like, yes, go with that. Like make it look sort of cheap and grungy on the fly and give it like a, give it that look. But it really was so clearly, Kind of like, well, I learned how to shoot it for TV, and I'm going to bring back all the people, and we're going to shoot it just like it looks on TV, so that there's this consistency. And it was, it was samey. And and again, the script is bad. The whole thing with Weevil was 
terrible. Uh, it was just, no, it was not a good experience. So I'm impressed that you're running into people who are like, oh, that was great. I mean, I didn't hate it. We finished it up and it was. I, I, didn't, I didn't hate it, but the more I think about it, the more I do. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can see that because we really did just spend like 15 minutes saying barely a single nice thing about it. And I, so, yeah, maybe I will look back on it as like a, with a huge shudder. But at the time, I was like, meh, meh. Yeah, that, that was me. I was like, huh. Yeah. Okay, that that existed. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, I don't know. Kind of kind of interesting to see where it will go. But as a, and as a general rule, of, there was, I, I really had a moment. I think it might have been that scene where, like, Piz is breaking up with, like, uh, Veronica Mars, uh, Veronica on the phone or something. And his, his throat, ch- ch- you know, kind of catches up. And I'm like, you know... I think I want to see more of that actor, which I never would have expected that I would have said about Piz in my life. I really do. <laughs> I don't think I want to see him playing Stosh this character. Piznoski. Yeah, it's, bless Still, his heart. What the hell? Stosh Piznoski. I like the fact they doubled down with the name. Yeah, they really They're did. They're like, P- people may have problems with Piznoski. Well, okay, it's okay. We'll distract him. We'll call him Stosh. <laughs> That's right. No one. There you go. Yeah, I, uh, I, it's, oof, what a, what a shame that show, what, that thing. I, like, I don't know. I mean, it, it was, it was, uh, we'll see if there's more opportunities like it. And I mean, if I, in a way, well, it is. They're that, apparently talking sequel. Are they? Did it do that well in the, over the weekend? Yeah, in the theaters? it did. Uh, well, it did and it didn't. Mm-hmm. Uh, it didn't play in that many theaters, first of all. It played okay. in less than a thousand. Mm hmm. Uh, but per theater, it made, uh, like 50% more than Need for Speed did per theater. Oh, wow. Uh, but still, it means like it made $2 million this weekend, as opposed to Need for Speed made like 18 or something like that. But, right. right. You know, the, the, so yeah, so it per made theater a, was so uh, much better. Yeah, per theater was significantly more. Yeah. But also, I have no idea what the uh, digital downloads were because it was the first time it was available for digital download and, and digital renting the same day as in theaters. So that you've got that revenue stream coming in as well. Right. Uh, Warner said all they needed to make this weekend for it to be a hit was a million dollars, and they made mm-hmm. two million in theaters alone. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. and I and I assume they made at least that much, if not more, on video on demand services. Yeah, so. exactly. Mm-hmm. So you know they're probably they're probably fine, mm-hmm. but. The other thing to remember is I can't see them crowdfunding a sequel. Do you know what I mean? Like that feels like a one-time deal, right? Right. So I, I'm I'm not sure if it, it. Part of the reason why I keep on thinking it's it's a TV uh, pilot, besides mm-hmm. the fact that it looked like one, is I could totally see this going into another TV show. Yes, because it's not like any of those people are movie actors. Yeah, Do you know what I, mean? right. I feel could easily lure them back to television. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, again, yeah, I think I think the only person, <laughs> apart from James Franco, I mean, yeah, no, I agree. Uh, so, yeah, we'll, I, I think it has a possibility for being a TV or a TV miniseries type event. We'll see. It was. It looks like, in that sense, yeah, it's a success, despite it being kind of pretty much a failure, I guess, in our eyes. Well, so. like I said, everything I've seen from the hardcore fans, they liked it. Right. So there you have it. So so I it it was a success. It mm-hmm. it did exactly what it was meant to do. Yeah. I think I said the same to tell you. It did exactly what it was meant to do. It's just that what it was meaning to do was surprisingly unambitious. Yeah, yeah. It, well, and see, that's it. It's not like I went into it expecting 
you know, a fucking, you know, Godard movie or anything like that. I, I was kind of, my ambitions were really, really low. But on the other hand, I think I'm, I'm definitely at the age of my life where fan service kind of grates. So like there were lines like there was like when she calls herself a marshmallow or whatever I was like okay, yeah I exactly just... you're yeah you just you grew and you're yeah. like really yeah exactly this early on and that well that that's just and, it. Uh, but the movie was all that it was it was really heavily ugly wink I just... wink yeah <laughs> I pray to God that the same thing does not happen to Party Down because Party Down the two seasons of Party Down are like some of my most favorite things ever by exactly the same guys. Um, and I adore them. And the idea that they would actually do that, do a mo- do a movie and do a movie that's that fan servicey to something as, as kind of spectacularly unfan servicey as party down really breaks my heart. So we'll see what 2015, happens. 2015, Jeff, 2015. Oh God. God Just wait. God. Um, okay, so we've got that covered. Is there anything else? Should we, should we jump? I I think we're pretty good. We have done an almost three hour podcast. Good God. It's true. You're welcome, listeners. (laughs) (laughs) This almost makes up for us, like, not recording that podcast a few weeks ago. That is true. That one that we missed. Yeah. We're, we're, we're just about, if you give us a two hour average, we've just about made it, made it up by now. I'm trying to see, is there anything that we should really be talking about? Uh, the new Buffy comic is good. Um, American Vampire was good. I talked to Scott Scott Snyder between our podcast. Yes, that's right. I saw the interview. How was that? Lovely guy. Yeah. Yeah. There's so much stuff that didn't go in as well. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's so much stuff that didn't go in, uh, including his love of Elvis. Oh, really? We we talked we talked about his love of Elvis and uh, country music. Uh, yeah, there was there was a really a remarkable ton of shit that didn't go in. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was he was he was a great interview. Oh, that's that great. was really 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 fun. I really enjoyed talking to him. Um, I'm trying to see what I'm what I've read and if there's anything that I really want to give a shout out to. Yeah, I've, talk, right. I've talked about Justice League of America being terrible. Oh, so uh, the evil firestorm in Forever Evil from from the Crime Syndicate world is called yes. Death Storm. Yes, and so for ages I've been like, Death Storm is the worst name. Mm-hmm. Like Death Storm is such an appalling name, and I realized the other day it's because I'm sure his real name is Shitstorm, but you can't <laughs> say that in the comics. Oh, that is too funny. That's... But was that not, like, that's, in, that's headcanon for me, really. Right. As far as I'm concerned, his name is actually Shitstorm. Shitstorm. And say it. Let's talk about, uh, we should talk about Batman and Aquaman really quickly. Oh, we should, yeah. yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. What did you think? Um, uh, okay, it was interesting to see the book going someplace again. Um, doesn't it really feel like the Two Face arc was like this weird hiatus? Yeah, like actually, this... like okay, and this is the story we actually want to tell again. Yeah, exactly. Now we're finally being able to tell this for reasons unknown. Um, although that I'd say reading that Two Face arc as an arc, re- like reading all the issues together again, mm-hmm. so much stronger than reading it in the individual issues. Yeah, the individual issues are a mess, but St- like really surprisingly strong when you read it. I want to. I believe it. I think it could have been stronger. I should reread it all at a go, but I kind of had a thing toward the end there where it's like, oh, this could have been great. Um, when I was talking about Jeff Parker's Aquaman and we got off the subject because, well, we started talking about other things that got off the subject, I would love to see Patrick Gleason draw Aquaman, basically, is for example, because I loved how his Aquaman looked in here. 
Um, I love the little voo 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 panels. Like, I don't know if that's being done in the regular comic whenever he does his little telepathic power thing. Um, but I just kind of thought that it, to me, it's just like, yeah, Aquaman probably lives or dies by the artist. And although he was not what I would have thought would have been a perfect artist for, uh, Gleason would have been a perfect pick to draw Aquaman. It would be a dark as fuck Aquaman if you, if you draw it, particularly if it's drawn like this issue. Gleason's got a real talent for the grotesque. And so there's a ton of grotesquerie in this issue that is, I don't think there's anything more disturbing than having all those Robin clones. Uh, the, yeah, the, the other Damians. The, yeah. the Damian, the I, other I, they Damians. Are, they are. They are horrifying yeah they're absolutely absolutely horrifying and i think they he literally has a panel where like the one with the eye half out of its head is about to get that eye plucked out by a seagull by the time that you like and that's just a throwaway um it's it's just a grotesque weird gnarly heavy metal approach to 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 comic illustration that makes that keeps me coming back for the book um and I thought that this was a strong issue. But, yeah, I really had a thing of, like, gee, I wonder how Huck- – I-, I liked Aquaman in this so much more than I liked in the three issues by Parker, God bless his heart. And it's not like he's really a well-rounded character in this issue or even a character at all almost. But he just looks great, you know? So I- I'm not going to go that far. I still prefer Aquaman in Aquaman's own title. So, mm-hmm. you know, you're welcome, Aquaman. Um <laughs> But I really like this issue, in mm-hmm. part because when Tomasi goes in slightly kind of crazy nuts, Brave and the Bold direction, yes. especially when Tomasi, with Gleason, pretty much remakes Brave and the Bold as a horror book. Yes, exactly. That's kind of great. It is. It is really amazing. It's... Because it's, it's, there's totally Haney in here as well. Mm-hmm. You know, they're, they're, they are fighting an army of deformed Damien clones. Yes, yeah. You know, that is totally, Bob Haney would thank them for that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And getting, getting Aquaman involved and in the amount of times where he, he yells out some sort of, you know, swimming or water related statement. Yeah, you're absolutely right. It is Brave and the Bold as a horror book. And it's kind of nuts. I don't feel like it gels perfectly, but it is such a unique book on the stands. Um, and I feel like it's getting back into its weirdo rhythm. I just, I'm, I'm pretty, as, as long as, as long as Tomasi and Gleason are doing it together, I'm probably gonna not, I'm probably in for the long haul. And also, can we talk about the fact that Tomasi is really working his butt off to try and make Morrison's Batman work in continuity. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. He really, really is. Mm-hmm. Like, almost every... In fact, I think every other Batman book has pretty much pretending that Batman Incorporated didn't exist. Right. Uh, I, I, don't... I, I feel like he was really working to be like, no, Damien counts, damn it. I, you know, I definitely do feel that he's very much on the Damien counts, which I think is great. But I mean, the thing is, is Batman so exists in its, in the world of zero year is such another world that it's a non-issue for me. And I don't follow enough, I don't follow any other Bat books. These are the only two, so. Oh, I should say that I actually did read the last issue of Zero Year as well. Oh yeah? Oh, okay. Which is 29? 29, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which, did, what, have you read? I did, I did. It, it, uh, what did you think of it? 
Uh, I like it. I, I, I think I'm always surprised when I like this. <laughs> um, part, a grand part of what I liked about it is the colors, this issue, weirdly enough. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. It, it, I mean, it's, it's an amazingly, it's an amazing looking book, but in large part because of what it, like the colors, the colors are spectacularly lurid. Yes. Yeah, it, it's also another sort of weirdly Grand Guignolish. Well, it's not weird since it's Batman, but considering it's a Batman Riddler story, you've, that stuff with Dr. Death and, but yeah, the colors are all kind of nausea inducing, you know, in a way that's kind of great. It's like, there's a lot of like weird washed out grays and whites followed by really crazy pinks and purples. Um, and I liked it. I liked it. And it also is one of those books where it's like, I'm reading, I don't know if it's exactly worth four ninety nine, but the fact that it is all Capullo and Snyder is, is pretty amazing to me. You know, it feel, it felt like a big epic finale, um, in a book that actually for something that's only been running 29 issues has had a lot of big epic finales. It, yeah, it, it's really surprising to me how, I mean, we're only what, two and a half years into the run, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but it feels like a really big, important run. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It feels it's like true. something, something very dramatic and also something that's being reflected in the sales. I mean, this Batman book is, is not, you know, it's not dying. It's staying at number one all the time. Yeah. Which is kind of amazing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, they, they, they keep, they, God bless them. They keep trying to swing for the fences and, um, uh, it's, it's still not maybe, I, I feel like I'm more coolish about it than I was in the first, I don't know, five or six issues. And yet I, an issue comes along like this one and I'm still like, you know what? I still enjoy it quite exactly. thoroughly. Yeah I'll, yeah, I'll stick with it. Yeah, exactly. Okay, before we do, we do wrap up, because we should wrap up, Jeff. Yes, we, we absolutely do should, yes. Um, you said you read Sovereign issue one, and you were like, eh. And I'm super curious uh, to talk to you about this, because I really liked it, but I was also confused as hell by it. Yeah. I found it a very disorienting first issue. Yes, very much so. And that's actually... But, but I really enjoyed it, despite the, that. That said, the first time I read it, I did not. Mm. See, I read it a couple it. of times in the first time, and I was like, I didn't know what the hell went on there. Yeah. I'm not sure how I feel. And it was one of those things where I was just like, eh, I'm going to reread it just in case. And the second time, I really dug it. But I still have no fucking idea what's going on in the book. Oh, interesting. Well, that's probably... I, I wish I had read it twice so that I could see if that matches up with my take on it. Cause I really did. I read it first issue and I was like, I loved sort of how it was structured. I loved all those various weird, you know, the weird little title pages for each of the separate vignettes. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, also, it, you have to admit it looks amazing, right? It does look amazing. It really does. Um, so yeah, I, I, although there's a way in which I suppose my like, oh, it looks amazing sort of runs kind of hot and cold. Like, um, God, whoever, was it the Perhapanauts or who would the, the fantasy book that ended up in the last, uh, four issues or so of Double Barrel? Um, this kind of reminded me of that, I think, because that was also a very dense kind of crazy fantasy book that was, 
you know, that I thought actually r- really did a great job looking utterly strange and new. Um, but this one it, is, it, yeah. This visually really reminded me of Paul Pope. Oh, it's funny. This actually reminded me of a first, second book, but not necessarily Paul Pope. So, huh, I can see that. Not yeah. a specific first, second book, just a generic, this could be published by first, second. It just sort of, I sort of feel like first, seconds, a lot of the, I don't think that first, second really has a, a house style, but, but, but yeah, but I also, on the other hand, part of me kind of thinks they do, and this reminds me of it. I don't know. I'm trying to, there's probably a better title that I'm thinking of that I can't think of that's more like this. No, I, I can totally see that. I mean, I can see some uh, Nick Bertozzi in this. I can see some Paul Pope. Yeah, right. I, can, I can see that. Yeah, so, yeah. That, but, I mean, it was one of those things where it's like, well, I've, I want to, I do want to reread it. it. I'm glad I picked it up. But I'm not sure that it really has it, – if it wasn't to the point where the number of titles that I, I'm picking up has, has grown, like I might stick with this. But considering how much of everything else I'm picking up, I don't necessarily know if I'll be back for issue two. Uh, we'll see how I feel after I reread it. Yeah, really interesting to me was I would not bring back for issue two until the second reread. And then the second reread, I was like, oh, I'm definitely coming back. Not only am I enjoying it, but also I really want to find what the fuck is going on and how these stories interconnect. Right. And I sort of feel... Or if they do. Or if they do, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whereas I kind of feel like that little niche is already filled by Pretty Deadly <laughs> at this point. You see, know that's what interesting because I, mean? I, I think I've dropped off the Pretty Deadly train. Ah, uh, I see. I see. Yeah. No, I think I'm going to be hanging on for that one. That If I had to pick two books that, you know, between the two books that... that look lovely, but, you know, I'm not entirely sure is actually coming together. Um, It's definitely going to be pretty deadly for me. So, but on the other hand, you know, I might keep each other updated. There we go. Exactly. Oh, it's a shame. We can't talk about it, but oh my God, that Deathlock Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. thing. I have to say, that's mortifying, man. Wait, wait, what what part is mortifying? The, The image they released? Yes. The, oh, the image released, I don't know if you saw, but um, Comics Lines had a headline that was like, Deathlock's beginning to look like the comic version. <laughs> I, I honestly want to leave a comment being like, you've clearly never seen the comic version. <laughs> exactly. What do they mean by that? Like, I, I saw that and it was like, did, did Deathlock cosplay Tron or something? Like, it's really weird to me how how evocative that image is of so many other things Besides yeah, Deathlock. Yeah, no, not at all. Not at all. It's like, you think it's like, like Deathlock, insofar as, like, there's kind of a red there, maybe, but that's it. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't know what they were going for, but that really was, everything about that was like, wow, that is, wow. Yeah, it's, I don't know. It's not Shield, Jeff. Come on. They've hired Adrian Pazdar and Patton Oswalt. You know they're pulling out the big gun. Dude. Well, see, that's it. Like, the, the Patton Oswalt thing, I just, I, I just, I don't know. I don't, especially because they did such a huge line of, like, you know, you guys have to, alternating between you guys have to trust us or if you don't like our show, you're losers. That I'm just kind of like, I'm glad that I don't watch it. I'm glad I don't watch it at all. So I can't say anything other than, as a huge Deathlock fan, seeing that image was kind of a relief. Because if it looked like Deathlock and I'd have to start watching that show, I'd feel like an asshole. 
So, <laughs> but aren't you sad? This means you're never going to get like a Deathlock movie. Or uh, I, I'll rephrase that: you're never going to get a good Deathlock movie. <laughs> I'm okay with that. This is the great thing about you know growing up in the '70s. I saw the Spider-Man TV <laughs> like, show. I, I never expected a exactly. Good movie. <laughs> I never expected a good superhero movie ever. And then you know, then there was the first Superman film. So you know, which I frankly would have given a B back then so you know that's that's how it goes <sighs> graham mcmillan i have to go and pass out now but um <laughs> it has listeners what you don't know is jeff and i started off this podcast going maybe you know we won't do a podcast because jeff is actually feeling sick i i during actually, this podcast yeah, exactly. and we were, we're talking about not doing it and we've done our longest one ever i know we just can't stop and it's and even while talking there were so many times where i'm like i sound like an idiot this is gonna be Ah, so anyway, listeners, thanks so much for listening to Graham and the Idiot, as we're going to be renaming <laughs> the podcast. Oh my God. Jeff, we'll only do that if every other episode can be called Jeff and the Idiot. <laughs> well, this episode, the voice of reason, will be played by <laughs> Jeff Lester. <laughs> you know, we may do that. Maybe, maybe we can do that. That would be that would be a lot of fun. <laughs> Okay, so listeners, we'll be back in two weeks. Holy smokes. Man. And, and we'll be shorter, because, you know, I like long podcasts, but three hours is a long podcast. Yeah, that's really a long podcast, man. You sorry, sorry, listeners. Okay. Yeah, I mean... I, <laughs> if I you've made it to the end, thank you. Yeah, go do something nice for yourself. You kind of deserve it, you know? If you've made it through all three hours of this, like, part of me is like, oh, this is a massive treat, and you're welcome. But also part of me is like, you know, like, I don't know, just like go go walk along a beach somewhere or do something nice for yourself, you know, because, oh my God. So this was episode 147. We're coming up on episode 150. So keep that in mind, everyone, because that that's only like going to be a month and a half away and we may have some big changes in store. One Episode 150, of course, is when uh, half the episode is a repeat. <laughs> That's that right. joke will make so much more sense when we get to Ladies <laughs> <laughs> gentlemen. Oh man. It's foreshadowing. I'm foreshadowing. Look at you. Man. Look at you. You're a genius. Oh god. Yes. Okay, episode 150 is very soon and we will have to do things for that. Yeah. Jeff. That exactly. Um, but for now, listeners, thank you very much for listening. We're sorry we we got so off topic so many times this time. Bye.